take that, you undead spawn of hell! Back to the netherworld with you! I'm not gonna use a spell to that giant insect, no way. Giant insects bring destruction and death to make the world a miserable place. We rolled 20 times and got you for a character? Shut up and kill things, you worthless sorcerer! Calling the minions of darkness is a teleconformist thing to do. I'm not gonna do it. Then you're gonna open the gate with your face! Ramming speed! Ouch. I should get mad that you're making me aid your fight against darkness, but opening a door with brute force is a non-conformist thing. Yeah. Hey, give me back the manual, you insociable jerk. I need it to get outside of town. This Lord Zine says ultra non-conformist. Life is pain, and he's dead, so he must be in even more pain. The perfect one to make things tough for all the conformists. Yeah. There! I got the manual and I took the equipment. We can just miss him and die in the, to die in the wilderness. Crap, we wasted two days doing that. Now we have to get more food. While we're at it, we should start the RPG Backtrack! What happens when you take the might of a veteran warrior and combine it with the magic of a wise wizard? You get might and magic. Multiply that by nine and you get today's show. On this 30th episode of RPG Backtrack, the game travels through this incredibly deep PC role-playing series. We take you through the rise and fall of this venerable series that is now seeing a resurrection in other forms. Grab a sword and wand, don't forget your copy of DOSBox, because RPG Backtrack begins now! Welcome to RPG Backtrack, where we discuss computer and console RPGs from way back in right up to yesteryear. It's also the place where we can't pronounce any proper nouns, incur spoilers, and the hosts are having a hard time reading the manuals while playing these games in DOSBox. I'm your host, Bill Willis. And I am wondering why my Venetian blinds are so stinking dirty. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 30, The Mighty Mighty Magics. Mr. Mike Minky, we've got quite the lineup for this evening. Not one, not two, hell, just nine games. Nine whole games, Mike. How are we going to squeeze all this in? We're going to do it by simultaneously condensing and focusing. We're just going to go straight to the main event tonight. Condense and focus. You heard him right, so that means we're not going to have any other segments because our main event is just so big, so huge, it's busting at the seams. And we brought in a couple of special guests to help us uh, help us out with this. Welcoming back Miss Becky Cunningham. How are you doing this evening, Becky? I'm just fine, but I don't think I count as an extra guest since I'm the co-host of the PC Pit Stop. Uh, I'll ask the editor-in-chief about that technicality. We'll have to get a ruling on that. <laughs> We're very strict here at the RPG Backtrack, so... So how are you doing today? Play any fun games lately? Any fun games lately? Well, uh, World of Warcraft just came out with a little uh, thing that kind of broke the world up quite a bit, so I've been having too much fun playing that instead of doing other things I should be doing. I know, isn't it awesome? <laughs> Listen to me, everybody. Go and roll a troll right now just to do the first five-level quest. You just got to do it. It's awesome. Did you know that it was rhyme time when you said that? Yeah. Absolutely. Positively. Miss Becky, it's my understanding that we have a very special guest tonight. We do, because um, I played Might and Magic back in the 90s, but I have not played Might and Magic nearly as much as my esteemed younger sister, so we have invited her on as a special guest today. 
Well, go ahead and do the honors. Who are we welcoming right. tonight? Uh, this is my sister, Evie. Hello. Evie, Good welcome night. to RPG Backtrack. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great, thank you. And yourself? All righty. So it's my understanding that you are an expert of many things might magic that you have put in not dozens but hundreds of hours into this games. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to confirm those allegations. Which, what I, does that say about you and your character, your personality? What does that say to the world? Uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Awesome. That's what we like here at RPG Backtrack. Just, just ask Mr. Mike. <laughs> hey, just because I happen to exemplify that stereotype does not mean I should be held up as a good example of it. Uh, good point. So, Evie, are you playing any cool and awesome <laughs> games lately, other than Might Magic? Pardon. Um, well, I've played uh, Heroes of Might and Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, you're, you're playing Heroes of Might and Magic uh, like this week or this month? Yes, yes. Which one? Heroes of Might and Magic 5. 5. How's that working out for you? Going through the campaign? Oh, I did that years ago. Oh, I'm you... just making random maps and crushing yeah. all of my enemies. So so you were actually able to get through the campaign? Well, I might have entered a few uh, codes. Oh, okay, alright. <laughs> my, my manhood was about to be challenged there. Cause I was like, holy cow, I couldn't even get through, like, I forget which board it was, but there was a couple of boards I really struggled with on that guy. Yeah, it was it was the tribes of the east actually is what I'm playing, mm-hmm. and they're uh, the, the the last few campaigns that they have are just ridiculously not fun. Mm. Well, not fun is not fun, so we can't have that. But you enjoying the random maps pretty good? Oh yeah, you know I mean they they get kind of predictable, but you know it's it's sort of like a screensaver for me at this point. I'm waiting for other stuff to happen. I hear ya. Alrighty. Well, let's not waste any more time chit-chatting. Let's get right on to... Let's get this party started. We're gonna... We're gonna go and find some of our lost... We're gonna... We're gonna go and find some of our lost uh, manuals and, and whatnot, and we'll be right back with our main event. Would you do me the pleasure and honor of introducing our first game of mini for this <coughs> evening? Might and Magic Book 1, The Secret of the Inner Sanctum, is an early computer role-playing game released for the Apple II, IBM PC, NES, and a number of other platforms. It was published in 1986 by New World Computing and also later re-released in the Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven Limited Edition, and then Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven Special Edition. Woo! Wow, that's some good stuff right there. <laughs> now, we're going to go ahead and put a disclaimer, but if I'm not mistaken, none of us have played the first two games, right? Nope. No. no. They belong in the annals of very early PC games that were really cool back then and are really not now. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to um, we're just going to share some information. We're giving you a disclaimer that this information is coming off the highly reputable site known as Wikipedia um, to kind of go over what these games were about. Uh, Might and Magic Book One: The Secret of the Inner Sanctum, as as Mike just mentioned, is an early uh, computer platform. MS DOS, Mac. I mean, you know, Apple for crying out loud. Uh, these. Well, were... if you really want to, you can play it on the Turbo Graphics 16. Ooh, nice. So we're talking, if you're lucky, you had all the four different colors at times, or eight, or whatever the system was limited to. A lot of yeah, text commands. Yeah, version was black and white. Yeah. If, awesome. If, <laughs> if you're into old school retro gaming, boy, you need to go back and play Might and Magic 1, which is actually not as hard as it sounds uh, to do, since you can grab the first six off of uh, GOG for a whopping $10. Um have you have you taken a look at this Becky off of the GOG? I mean, just taken you know jumped into it, just see what it looked like. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to brave the uh, the the secret of the inner sanctum there, huh? No, I was I was too afraid. Well, you know, in in the basically uh, this game was set in the world of Varn, which stood for vehicular astroprod research in a cell. Uh, it featured expansive outdoor terrain castles, caves, undercities, and the astral plane, at least, uh, you know, at least for the 80s, it was very, very vast. Um, and it focused on a group of adventures that you would make, a group of six adventurers, uh, who are trying to discover the secret of this inner sanctum. You're looking for, like, this holy grail type of thing. And while you're doing that, you discover uh, uh, some information about Korak's hunt for the missing villain, Sheltum. You're going to end up, uh, not, uh, you know, we love spoilers here, but you'll end up unmasking Shelton, who's been masquerading as the king and defeating his evil mechanizations. Um, and as you end the game, you'll go through some gates to the other world and travel to Kron, not knowing that Shelton has also escaped into that world. Uh, Varn's populated by a lot of medieval fantasy type of things you kind of expect to see, monsters and magic people and, and whatnot, but there's also a number of uh, science fiction elements in there as well. And um, you can, when you're making up your sixth character, you got you got pretty much character classes that sound like they came from a basic D&D game. You can make a knight, a cleric, a robber, a sorcerer, a paladin, or an archer. Um, and you got a couple of races to pick up, human, elf, half-orc, gnome, and dwarf. Um... And uh, and just like most of the D&D games back in the day, you could pick your alignment, but it had very little impact on the actual uh, game, as, as well as your gender. You could pick your gender, but uh, you know there might have been some statistic limitations, but aside from that, those old games really didn't do anything with your gender for the most part. Um, you got to pick, uh, you had two types of magic, your sorcerers and clerical spells. Again, very much, a lot of this was, was very much lifted from D&D, more or less. Um, with your cleric spells doing your healing and your magic spells mostly doing most of your your damage and whatnot. So, uh, old school gaming, you're going to run into enemies, you're going to see them on the screen and pick what you want to do to fight them and whatnot. There was a lot of keyboard shortcuts, and graphics uh, was minimal, well, is minimal for today, but uh, back then I guess they were pretty well done, so to speak. Um, Well, um, if I may interject, one of the founding sort of... um, principles of Might and Magic was that they were in the first-person view, all the games were, um, which was pretty unusual back then. More of them looked sort of like the original Ultima games did, where you saw your little guy moving around on the screen, but this was a first-person view. Um, The first game, at least, I think the first couple games, you couldn't see the character portraits. That was introduced in the third game, but Mm -hmm. that was something that was pretty important then. Yeah, and, and, you know, and when when you play a game like Dark Spire... 
Um, you know, Dark Spires is. Uh, if you haven't played it yet on the Nintendo DS, <laughs> Mike, you played Dark Spire, haven't you? <laughs> you really have to bring that game up. <laughs> but if you play, if you if you play Dark Spire uh, for its old school gaming charm, such as it is, um, it's really based off of games like this, the the, the forefathers into that 3D uh, viewpoint, which was very limited back then. Um, there weren't that many, I mean, when you talk about the 80s, your first-person shooter type of things was limited to the extremely basic baseball and things like that. But role-playing games were actually pushing the envelopes of graphics back in those days and doing these types of visuals that gave you the impression that you were playing in 3D. So that was, whereas, you know, shooters or whatever you want to call them, platformers, were really just doing the side-to-side thing. So, um, you know, for its time, the graphics were uh, borderline revolutionary. Um and in fact, uh, Compute Magazine praised Might and Magic for its wealth of content, nonlinear play, and aspect of its graphics. Though it does note that the game graphics lack animation and that there is a limited graphical representation of enemy combatants. Computer Gaming World also praised the game's extensiveness, but noted that early versions of the game only equipped party members with clubs, making the beginning of the game very difficult. Well, pff, beginning of the game being difficult was like a hallmark of these games. <laughs> At any rate... Um, and um, uh, any other thoughts on my Magic One? <laughs> I mean, a lot of the reviewers really did like it. I mean, it was getting you know nines and tens uh, out of ten for its yeah, time hey. and whatnot. So it's definitely a it's definitely something to go back and play and dabble with just to get an appreciation for uh, for those times. And you can get it as part of the Might and Magic Collection, which we're going to continue to talk about those games for the Might and Magic Collection. Mike, why don't you take us into the next one? After the events of Might and Magic 1, the adventurers who helped, who helped Korak defeat Sheltam on Varn take the gates to another world, located in Varn to the land of Kron, Central Research Observational Nacelle. The land of Kron is facing many problems brought on by the encroachment of Sheltam, and once again the adventurers must travel through Kron, the four elemental planes, and even through time to help Korak stop Sheltam from flinging Kron into its sun. This is Might and Magic 2, Gates to Another World, released on MS-DOS, Amiga, Apple II, Mac, Commodore 64 MSX, the NEC PC N801, the, the Sega Genesis, and the Super Nintendo in 1988, or later. There you go. Whew. You just took me back a few dozen years. <laughs> yes, don't you just love thinking back to 1988 when Reagan was still in office? Goes for the no. days. <laughs> Oh, come on. Just, it's just only, only thing with the people we've seen since Reagan that we can appreciate his many fascinating qualities. We have staff members who weren't even born yet when this game came out. <laughs> That's true. There's, there's food for thought. Boy, do I feel old. <laughs> um, anyways. I was watching never-ending Godzilla movies when this came out. You know, I was I, I could have played these games, but I was playing gold box games around this time, so... I think we were playing Dungeon Master. Maybe we totally came. were. Yeah. Dungeon Master rocked. Screamer Slice. There we go. So, <laughs> so as Mike mentioned, this was basically a, an updated version, but it, it was also a sequel of the first game. Uh, you, well, now you, you have Barbarian and Ninja classes in addition to the other ones. Absolutely. And that, that makes the game more fun, because whenever you add Ninja to anything, it's instant win. It, it doesn't matter how good or bad the game actually is. Ninja makes it a win. Um, so, Phil, are ninjas superior to pirates? Oh, I absolutely. Been, 
a oh, debate. Ah, no. Oh, absolutely. Those, those ah, ninjas would drop those pirates before they even know what hit them. They'd be like going, all right, where's Mikkel? Uh, dead. You know, that, does, does the pirate have a gun? Yeah. And is the ninja really sneaky? Oh, those ninjas are, 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 man, they're sneaky by nature. They sneak in the shadows. They're, they're, they're hidden. You can't touch a ninja. I think I'm, we have I'm, to assume that the pirate is not Johnny Depp, because otherwise this is not a fair fight. <laughs> I, I don't think I can be on this podcast anymore. Yeah. I'm on the pirate side, man. Uh-huh. Well, we're all about conflict here at RPG Backtrack. So, um, you know, speaking of conflict, here here's a question I have for y'all. Because I know this was, I believe this was um, something that you saw in later Magic, Might and Magic games. So in Might and Magic um, 2, you still only got to have six player-generated characters at a time. But you could create more than six and have the extra characters stay at an end, uh, stay at the end, and then whenever you were at an end, you could switch out your characters. Um, I believe that's something you see in the later ones as well, isn't it? You saw those in four and five, maybe three as well. After that, it wasn't an option anymore. Why and why? You know, was there really a reason to do that? Because of course, I would imagine that if you had your level one party, you got him up to ten. Why would you switch it out with a guy who's still at level one back in the end? That's a good question. Maybe if you really wanted to try out a different uh, character class of some sort in your party and didn't want to play everything all over again, perhaps you could use the other uh, five members of your party to power level the sixth one. Or if you made, say, I don't know, a ninja and then realized it was useless because it didn't have as good of a thief skills as the robber and you couldn't unlock the doors you wanted to unlock, you could go back to the inn and make a useful character instead. I almost hear ninjas are cooler in real life, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, we should mention that ninjas in Might and Magic are not necessarily the founts of awesomeness that one would expect from simply the name. No, they they really aren't, actually. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on the pirate side. So um, a couple of elements uh, were introduced in this game of the series. You have uh, class upgrades, uh, quests were now available. Uh, You have a lot more mini-quests. Characters could acquire a couple of secondary skills, such as mountaineering and linguist which I won't ask you ladies right now, but I have seen uh, some of some of these secondary skills in the later games, and I'm going to be kind of curious as to how much they come into play, so keep that in the back of your head. Um, one of the interesting things was, I, I, I know there are a number of people um, in my friends groups who love to play games for very long times and see how high and level they can get, <clears throat> like Mickey. And, and I understand here you get up to level 255, and get your hit points as high as around 65,000. Sounds like Disgaea on crack. Hey, so, Phil, what was that thing that was caught in your throat a minute ago? Ah, just a, just a little hairball, you know. Sorry, I forgot to hit the mute button. I tried, but, you know. Oh, right, because your cat is running around getting hair in the speakers. Yeah, they do that. She, she sheds a lot, let me tell you. Whew. Anyways, you've also got time travel added in this, and we all know what time travel does to storylines. Makes them needlessly complicated, and most of the time you lose the plot, but... Um. <laughs> Bear in mind, this is a game where you killed cripples. Yay! That that was in fact an enemy, cripples. Well, and and according to notes here, so this, so this is one of the most unbiblical things ever. Because didn't Jesus heal the cripples? Now you're going around and killing them. Yes, yes. They're well. They they tend to be um, in big, huge groups in this game. So you've got like. Like uh, two thieves and two cripples and a 
brain bender and a fool and a, a screaming pod and three flesh eaters, which, you know, with staff being rampant among the um, the homeless. I think you can kill homeless people in it, too, or something. Are there uh, any lepers? Yes. Yes, there are lepers. I believe that is another monster that you kill. I've researched this game. I haven't actually played it. And, you know, that, but that was one of the cool things about these old games, and I, I can't remember the name of this one off my head, but it, I'm looking at the screenshots, and it was one that I played. It wasn't this, it wasn't Might and Magic 2, but it was a similar one. And you start off in a, not in a dungeon, but in some sort of prison, and you would just run across the most weird enemies that you, you would have to beat. And it seemed like something that they were doing back in those days. Yeah, let's give you was some, it like some leopards. No, uh, gosh dang it, it's a classic, but for the life of me, I just can't remember. Your party's names were on one side with uh, with uh, colored bars that represented their health, but it was just their names, it wasn't their portraits. You could have up to eight people, actually. Um, but for the life of me, I can't, you started in Purgatory, which was basically came across as a prison to me. Um, boy, I used to play that thing to death. Anyway, it was around this time, too, or a little bit later. Uh, one of the things that it mentions here in the notes is that characters would age during gameplay, uh, and when reaching old age, they would die randomly <laughs> due to natural causes. You know, yes. I always wondered if that worked in Dungeons & Dragons, because in D&D, in the older gold box games, casting the haste spell would age your character a year. And I always wonder what happened if I cast haste on somebody a lot. Um, in, the, in the Middle Might and Magics, your characters age as well, and their statistics will start to go down as they get old, but I don't think they die. And there's usually, at, at least in the games that I played to completion, there was a fountain of youth you could find and become young again, which was always nice. Yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of ways you could get aged. There were monsters that would age you, and I think there were potions that could age you. So when, yeah. at what age do your stats start to go down? Oh, goodness. Jeez, I don't remember. Maybe in your... 50s or 60s or something. Yeah, about then. Okay. Pop so this is the secret rationale for why Jackie Chan is no longer the leading man in his movies. <laughs> then you had one of the things that it mentions here is that the last uh, this 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 particular RPG deviated uh, from the standard uh, savoir faire by because the last dungeon required the PCs to the player characters to board a spaceship and solve an encrypted message with the title in order to escape the planet. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Wizardry. I played a number of Wizardry games and they seem to have like this futuristic thing, especially towards the, the further you get to the end. That's sometimes more of the futuristic stuff you hit. Um, yeah. So that was kind of cool. And it reviewed really well. Reviewers gave it around four out of five stars um, and whatnot. Um, so definitely you can check that out. Again, as part of the GOG series and whatnot. While you're doing that, Mike, why don't you tell us what our next game is? Might and Magic 3 Isles of Terra is the third game in the role-playing game series Might and Magic. Released in 1991, it is the predecessor to Might and Magic 4 Clouds of Zine and the sequel to Might and Magic 2 Gates to Another World. It was released on MS-DOS, Amiga, Mac operating system, the Japanese version of the TurboGrafx-16, the Sega CD, only in Japan, though, the TurboGrafx CD, and the Super Nintendo. After the defeat of Sheltam and his forces on Kron in Might and Magic 2 Gates to Another World, a new party of adventurers from Sheltam's homeworld of Terra find themselves embroiled in the battle between the two guardians. The adventurers must aid the mysterious Korak in attempting to stop Sheltam once again and putting an end to his evil machinations. In canon, these adventurers are named Sir Kanagam. Crag Hack, Maximus, Resurrectra, Darkshade, Castor, Robert the Wise, and Tolberti. Rated O for old school RPG. 
just kidding. All right, <laughs> sorry. I, 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 oh, I have I so feel, much to say about this. These, these games weren't really rated uh, rated for the ages and stuff and whatnot. So since you've got so much to say about this, Evie, why don't you start off by um, filling out the plot some more. Tell us about the story. Um, I mean, from what little we've discussed in 1 and 2, take it from there and, and, and take us through the, the entire plot of number 3. I'd just like to say real fast that it, this seems like a really stupid idea to put an English RPG onto a Japanese system and then not put it into English, which is what the Sega CD version is. <laughs> Whoopsie! <laughs> That's it. I've, I, will right. now, I will now defer. <laughs> All right. Well, um, basically, you start out in this town made of a whole bunch of giant women's turquoise heads with water coming out of them, and uh, you're you're fighting moose rats and bubble men. And you you go around and you discover all of these islands and their their um kind of element themed. Like you've got the fire island and the snow island and the desert island and the swamp island full of ninjas. And uh oh what what was the plot of that? You you're you're <laughs> if, if you hadn't noticed the plots are not always front and center in these games. No, there's a spaceship in it, of course. Um I think it might even be uh the the Enterprise and you have to fight terminators in it. It's I think you're back in in um you're back in one of the other planets. But, was this uh, back when Paramount did not sue for use of Star Trek images? Yes, yes. They they had a lot of Star Trek references in it. Um, yeah, it's, there's uh, Korak and Shelton are back in it. And, uh, you know, it's the Isles of Terra. So Shelton's trying to do something bad, and you go and kill bugaboos, and then you, you go and, and learn how to swim across the ocean, and eventually you end up in a spaceship, and, and, uh, oh, the, the, let's see, it's a, it's a, at the game's conclusion, Shelton plots, pilots an escape pod within the underwater ship and sets off for the nacelle of Zine, so, you, you try and stop them, and you can't, and there's spaceships, and, uh, and, and devils and stuff. For some reason, and uh, oh yeah, pyramids of the ancients are actually um, are actually control centers for for this uh, this uh, floating island of of life that somebody made for some reason. Basically, it's an excuse to loot coral and ruby armor out of chests that you find in the middle of a swamp. That's pretty much the, the way it goes. Those must be the most awesome watertight chests ever made. Oh, yeah, totally. There's, there's basically there, there are mystical sci-fi pyramids and spaceships in in most of the Might and Magic games. It's yes. just not immediately apparent when you start to play them. Yeah, there's there really isn't actually a whole lot of plot. There's some really painfully obvious riddles. There's um, pale Smurf blue elves. You actually have to fight a monster called a. Bugaboo, because they got away with stuff like that back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back when copyright laws were not constantly exercised. Were were there a lot of uh, puzzles? Because I know that's a trademark of some RPGs from the time period that they would mix uh, uh, cheese in your peanut butter and jelly by forcing you to uh, knock out certain puzzles and stuff. There oh, do you puzzles. not like puzzles, Phil? 
D- no, I oh, I adore puzzles. Come well, that's on. good. There, there were some puzzles, some word puzzles, and some. Ah, uh, I think there might have been some lever pulling a little bit, but uh, you had to do some timing uh, or get your head chopped off in these random dungeons full of witches and cauldrons of stuff that, for some reason, you actually uh, thought drinking would be a good idea. <laughs> I, um, I, actually, let me clarify, Be- Becky. I love puzzles as long as I have a fact right next to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, just clarifying. Yeah, the uh-huh. internet's a beautiful thing. It makes it a, a lot more fun. I mean... <laughs> hey, we didn't have the internet when we first played this game. <laughs> no, we just had to figure it out and fight candle creeps. That was another one, you know? They don't call oh, yeah. stuff as stupid and, and awesome as this anymore. <laughs> Bubble men and candle creeps and, and... Well, we won't talk about the bugaboos. But, you know, you you fought a candle... He was like a half-melted candle with a really sad face and two hands that shot fireballs at you, and it was called a candle creep. And we don't have that kind of innovation anymore. Aw, he sounds cute. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so let's talk about the gameplay for a little bit. Obviously, uh, Might Magic Three, uh, you know, uses that same first-person perspective. Uh, that we've been able to see. That's actually kind of a hallmark of the series. But tell me about what it was like to... Let's start off with the building of the characters. Uh, we talked a little bit about 1 and 2. Did 3 add more classes? Did it add more skills? Talk about that for a bit. Uh, well, I, I don't know if they added more classes. I don't think they added more classes. The basic skill of classes throughout the game series ended up being Paladin and Knight for the fighters. Um... There were robbers and ninjas for the sort of sneaky things and archers. Robbers, ninjas, and archers. Robbers had good, the best thief skills and mediocre fighting skills. Ninjas had mediocre thief skills and better fighting skills. Then they had the sorcerer and the cleric who you basically have to take in your party in every game. So they take up two slots. And then, yeah, and then they had druids and, oh right, archers were, druids and archers were like the hybrids. Um, So archers. Yeah, Druids sorry? could cast a couple of sorry. Druids could cast a couple of sca- skills uh, spells. Sorry that uh, sorcerers and clerics couldn't, I believe. So yep. for the first, you know, for those uh, like three, four, and five, they were actually useful. The so well, at least your party size in these games is six, not like some other games. Yeah, at least you have a couple of, of open slots there you can play with because you mentioned that you had to have. Uh, a healer and a mage. Do you feel like that you really had to have that that pure rogue, or could you really squeak by with a ninja? Well, it depends. Do you like opening treasure boxes and doors? <laughs> well, <laughs> see, and this is one of the things. Now, this is one thing that kind of bothers me about the old school games, and I think most people would agree, is that uh, with old school games, it was very feasible to really chop off one of your legs at the beginning and put yourself in a position where you absolutely couldn't win the game. In the gold box, it was really fun by picking a class that maybe you didn't realize by reading the instruction book had a limit of, like, level 5. 
because the race class combi- the race uh, class combination had a had a class level limit that could really make it hard for you to actually beat the game later on down the road. Um, yeah. If you didn't have a rogue in some games to unlock certain doors, you couldn't find certain objects necessary for you to unlock the puzzles to get to the boss in order to beat the game. Is that is is it possible to lock yourself totally out of being able to beat the game by not having uh, a rogue in the party, a robber? I don't know. Did you ever try a game with that one? No. <laughs> I think I tried. I think I tried a ninja one in one of my playthroughs back in the nineties, and realized quickly that it kind of sucked, and went back and got a rogue instead. Useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Useless. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I mean, I mean, and you were so trained. You were so trained back in those days to have one of every class. You know, especially the major fundamental classes. The hybrid classes were always kind of optional, but you were always trained to have one of each major class in your party at least. So even in Dungeon Dragons, where you had a six-person party, you would have a fighter, a rogue, a mage, a priest, and then the other two you'd make hybrids or put an extra fighter in there or whatever you tickled your fancy. Um, so it's. It's funny that that and you get into that habit, and then later on down the road, I heard people talking about Final Fantasy One. Now Final Fantasy One lets you pick your classes, and I would always do the same thing because I was trained by the DOS games—a fighter, a rogue, a mage. You know, well, I found I heard about people who beat the game with all mages. I'm like, what? You can do that? Because <laughs> I'm so used. Yeah, I'm so used to saying you can't even think about beating the game because you will run into a puzzle or get your head chopped off, or you'll find a boss that can only be beat by spells, and therefore you wish you at least had one spellcaster in the party. So um, yeah. so you had basically, it sounds like then your party would normally consist of one each of the four primaries, and then what did you do for the other two? Put a couple more primaries in there, or did you go with hybrids? Paladin and Druid. I believe that's what I usually did. And I'm a paladin and um, ranger type of person. I, I can't believe you take rangers... Are useless. <laughs> I, I took archers over druids. I didn't like druids; they were too squishy. Well, you like pirates over ninjas too, so. Oh, right. <laughs> the bloodbath begins. <laughs> pirates versus ninjas, druids versus rangers. Who will win? <laughs> well, we're sisters. We've got to be on the opposite side of the debate. <laughs> I just like to say. Receive my rebuttal silently in the night. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be calling each other up at 2 a.m. tonight. I'm telling you, the ranger can't do this, you know. So, yeah, they suck. Um, can they cast Town Portal? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can they cast Town Portal? No. So, um, wait, let me ask you, uh, who, which one of you have played this game most recently? I played it about uh, two years ago, I think, on DOSBox. DOSBox is your friend. Do you, do you feel that it holds up well? Obviously, you're, you're playing it only two years ago. I I didn't play it for a really long time, uh-huh. but uh, I did actually uh, really enjoy it. And the song in the in Fountainhead, I think Fountainhead's actually the name of the first city you start in. Uh, now that I think about it, that song is still stuck in my head. If anybody in our audience can. Well, I think we've just found where one of our music samples is coming from. I was about to say, I can I can cut that and put that on a loop, and uh, that will end up being a transition. Well, funny um, that because it's on a loop in Fountainhead too. 
over and over. Yes, Dev and Becky, we are going to make you into the new internet ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. Oh, my goodness. I really, the things that I really liked about that game uh, the first time I played it was uh, it the items kind of captured your imagination. They seemed really exotic because you could get ruby armor or coral armor or, or emerald armor or, or silver or whatever. And, and or, or, or wood swords, seemed... which actually gave you negative stats. Yes. <laughs> Wooden ring armor. And, and if I recall correctly, you didn't really know what anything did at first. You just had to put no. it on and see what, your, what changed your stats. So you yep. just kind of had to had to to guess and learn. It didn't have a window that popped up and told you, "Hey, this gives you plus four to hit" or anything. It's just like you know, Ebony well, Halberd. Well, the, the cursed that. the cursed items were usually pretty obvious because it would be like skull ring or you know, yeah. <laughs> fang well, can, spider I armor. That, I can say that my magic four did not improve the. Is this going to help me or hurt me? Aspect any? <laughs> no, no, not much. They, you could, you could get things identified by the shopkeeper, but even then, that was the only place to look at them. Like there was no place else to look at them, and so if you didn't want to keep going back to the shopkeeper or write everything down, you just kind of guess. Except you had to be careful because, like, gold armor is the most valuable armor in the game, but it's not the best armor in the game, so that's yeah. not a good indicator. Either. Hey, that makes surprising <laughs> sense. Last I checked, gold is not very sturdy. Yes. So. Although it is better than wooden armor. <laughs> you, you, they had the portraits in this game, so so one of the cool things was when they have effects on them, like illness <laughs> or insanity. That was my favorite. Was making the elves insane. Uh, how about drunk if it's, blue elves. Can you get drunk in three? Yes, yes, yeah. you could get drunk in three. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, their their faces would go absolutely crazy if you look at our. Sp- at the screenshots we have on Might Magic 3 through 5, I made sure to get some where characters had a, a status ailment or two. So if you see a character going, and it's probably yes, poisoned. The screenshots that were supplied by Becky in yes. going above and beyond the Call of Duty. Lovingly supplied by sending my characters into places they weren't leveled enough for and getting them hideously killed while they fought a giant five-headed Hydra. Yes. Or rocks. Oh, Becky, we know you take such good care of your avatars. <laughs> well, I didn't save. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll tell you, the you know, looking at your screenshots, it reminded me just how uh, colorful and detailed this game is. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we all recognize, of course, the fact that, you know, this thing's probably running around 320 by 240 resolution or whatever it is back in those days. But with that being said, I mean, just go on to, I mean, Becky's done a really great job of getting these screenshots up. Uh, and if you go on RP Gamer and just check those out, uh, it'll definitely, if you've ever played this game before, it'll definitely uh, take you back. Now, I'm not sure, what, you're taking those from the DOS version, right? Those screenshots? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I know that, I know that uh, when we talk about the later games, uh, you know, so the, the, the graphics kind of different. We'll talk about that when we get to 4 and 5, because that, that one also, I, I, I experienced that one on a different system. But um, but yeah, go and take a look at them because I mean they are just I mean you could tell that the people who made this game really enjoyed what they did and and, and there are only they- like ten of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if you look at the list on Wikipedia of the developers, there's like ten dudes on there, and that's about it. The graphics yeah. are gorgeous for their time. Yeah, they're actually they still hold up pretty decently. I mean they're pixelated, yeah. but like the the monsters are funny. Like they've got yeah. great little animations, and it's actually <laughs> an interesting world to. 
walk around and it's got a fair amount of variety. So yeah, do yourself a favor if you do play it, just don't maximize it. Use the <laughs> DOS box command to window eyes it to a small window, and it'll come across a little bit better that way. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, would you say what's that? If, if you've got widescreen, you definitely don't want to maximize it. Oh it's- yeah. <laughs> And I can't tell you how many people I have, you know, since we're about old school gaming and stuff, this is appropriate. I've, I have this conversation with people all the time. When you're playing an old school game, you need to go into your NVIDIA or your uh, other graphic, whatever that other one is. Go into your graphic card settings and change it to where it doesn't stretch things out. Because uh, where it doesn't stretch it widescreen for a, a game that wasn't meant to be played in widescreen because everybody looks fat and disproportionate. It's evil. And it can be hard to find those settings sometimes. I've had to go and help some friends. It's taken me up to 20 minutes sometimes to figure out, like on, um, I think it's some, one of the NVIDIA cards or something. Um, I know that you can't even ch- turn that auto stretch off unless you've got the monitor set to a certain resolution first. I mean, sometimes you have to jump through some hoops. You're going to have to do a little research on the Internet, but it's absolutely positively worth it if you're going to play the game in full screen. Otherwise, DOSBox does allow you to use the, I think it's Alt-Enter, uh, to resize that window and uh, make it, you know, just normal, like a normal window and stuff. And that makes it easier to see the instruction book in the background or the fact. <laughs> <laughs> or the hint manuals, which are helpfully included with the GOG.com version of the game. Are, speaking of, do you do you feel that those hints are re- are really required to get through this game? We did it without hints. Yeah, but that was the early 90s, so today's gamers may wish to use the clue book. <laughs> the clue, the clue. And I have to admit that Today's me wishes to use the cube, <laughs> just if nothing Why? else for the maps. <laughs> Why, Becky? It's as if you're suggesting that gamers have gotten more coddled over the years. Well, I would suggest that we have. Yeah. I mean, this game had a map on the screen as long as you knew the cartography skill or cast wizard eye. Yes. Speaking of, let's talk a little bit about the secondary skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you probably don't have a list right in front of you, but maybe you can just talk off your head about some of the more useful and maybe the not-so-useful skills. There were a few that were incredibly useful. Uh, mm-hmm. Mountaineering. Um, what was the one where you could wander around in thick forest? Do you remember what that one was? Uh, pathfinding. Pathfinding, yeah. I've actually uh, popped in on some of these games over the last couple months, so... It's swimming. Yep. You yeah. needed... You, you had to get most of the skills in the game because you had to be able to wander through the mountains and the forests and be able to swim. So yeah. I, I can't really think of any skills that weren't useful. Really. Now, based on looking through the manual for four, if everyone does not know how to swim, then no one can swim. Is that right? Yeah. Everyone has yeah. to be able to swim to swim, which makes sense. Um, but yeah. only only like two characters need to know mountaineering and pathfinding, I think. Because they could guide the other little characters through the mountains, which are, were the exact same height as the cities and your uh, <laughs> yes. characters, as far as I could tell. <laughs> well, you know, limitations of the engine. Yes. And, <laughs> and you definitely happen. wanted to cast Wizard Eye. Yeah. We had some cool little, little features. I forget what spells you cast, but they... If you look at the screenshots and you look at the user interface, you'll see little gargoyles and little heads mm-hmm. around the frame. 
Yep. And, and that uh, was if there was a yes or no question that you had to answer, and there was frequently a yes or no question. If you had clairvoyance up, the gargoyles would nod their heads yes if it was safe and say no if it wasn't safe. So it was like, you see a bottle of green water. Do you want to drink it? <laughs> and if they say no, then it's like, okay, you don't want to drink that. But sometimes sometimes one would, would nod and one would shake their head. Yes, and that was that would usually mean that you would get a stat increase, but you would be horribly disfigured or something. <laughs> You've been aged 50 years. Congratulations. Wow. You gained three strength. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> you gained three strength, but you're going to need a crutch. <laughs> <laughs> you can become a monster for Might and Magic too. It'll be great. Uh, right. Were, th- <laughs> were there skills that were less than useful? Well, if you were like me and cast Wizard Eye all the time, then your cartography skill got thrown to the wayside by the time you got Wizard Eye. But still, it's kind of useful if you happen to run out of mana or your mage dies or whatever to have cartography. Mm -hmm. What could happen? You could die, and then you could be eradicated. Yes, which was worse (laughs) than death. (laughs) And it had a really freaky icon. It was a skull. It was a skull. Eradicated. You know, you get some... uh, I think that the uh, Terminators at the end of the game could eradicate you. Yeah, it was it was an end game thing, and I don't remember I don't remember how or if you could. I I know you could somehow become uneradicated, but Uh, I don't remember how. I don't remember if you could cast a spell to fix it, though. I don't think you could. So to be eradicated means that you've been blown to bits. I yeah. you're extra dead. You're whatever, extra. yeah, whatever you can see gets true as being eradicated. <laughs> you're being you're mostly dead. You're all dead. That's about to say <laughs> you're you're not just dead. You're extra dead. It's kind of like, would you like your burger crispy or extra crispy? You know, it's, <laughs> and this is a similar. A lot of you know, this is very similar to Dungeons Dragons, where uh, when you would when you would die, uh, then your status would show dead, and uh, you could be taken to a temple, or if you had a high level priest. Uh, that person could be resurrected, though that was not without risk. Uh, you had to do a saving throw. If you failed your saving throw, then not only did your character fail to be brought back to life, they were destroyed, eradicated. I forget what the official D&D terminology was, but long story short, they were dead for good and, and weren't, weren't coming back. So that would be your eradicated status there. But I, You could get your characters back here because really... Oh. That that yeah. would be bad if you couldn't get your character back. You'd like you could get him back from eradicated. Yeah, yeah, but I think it was hard. Yeah, yeah. Wait, well, it was really expensive at the temple, yeah. and okay, I think that's it, it cost you some kind of stats or experience points or something. Mm. But I don't remember exactly. Oh yeah. Well then, that that D and D was worse than that because they would make you just for a normal resurrection. You took a chance of losing a point of constitution. Um, so a lot of times when I would die in D and D, I just reload my save because I didn't want to lose a point of constitution. That's that's hit yeah. points. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's th- Which, there was a lot of saving and loading involved in this one too. But there's a lot more there's a lot more combat in Might and Magic than there were even in the Gold Box games. So <laughs> you're going to get eradicated sooner or later. <laughs> would you say that the speaking of the combat, would you say that the difficulty curve? was fairly persistent or were there big spikes did it ever feel like it was impossible and that you had to either cheat or grind for a hell of a long time well if you went to the wrong town at the wrong time you might um teleport into that town and immediately have ninja feet in your face nice which 
if you were uh, if you were um, not really high level, this was a problem. And, um, and we mean literally ninja feet in your face because the ninja animation would be a leg thrust forward and you'd see a giant foot in the middle of the screen. You see the, you see the sole of a shoe filling yeah. up the screen and then a ninja again. They were not very sneaky ninjas. No, they weren't. But yeah, it, it was more that you had to be careful where you went and you would know very quickly if you'd gone someplace that was over your head and then you would need to go back and do whatever thing was at your level. But there was not usually a whole lot of grinding involved, per se. No. It was more that you wanted to do the area sort of in order. Yes. Once a monster was dead in that in that game, it was dead. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember them respawning. Or maybe half. Well, they would. They would if, but if you didn't take out their little hut. Oh, remember they had, right. Yeah, they yes. had huts scattered everywhere. And so you'd get, like little imps spawning like crazy and you'd have to find the hut they came from and then once you burned the hut down they wouldn't respawn yeah they breed fast that's right mm-hmm. and that was particularly the, the huts were particularly ubiquitous in Might and Magic 3 they, they toned yeah. them down a little there weren't quite as many respawning monsters in the later games but. wow amazing it sounds like it sounds like the traditional RPG version of Gauntlet you have those little <laughs> huts that the goblins just keep coming out of until you beat yeah. the hut yep. yes. wow Nice. Um, any other final concluding thoughts about uh, My Magic Three? Would you Would you go back and play it again? Would you recommend it to the audience? Yeah, I would actually. I think it's really fun. You can get over the fact that it's an older game. It, it's interesting <laughs> and it has enough to in, engage you and and uh, keep you going. I think yep. it's it's pretty fun. I think it was really well made. Yeah, this is the first of the Might and Magic games that I would recommend that people actually play. If you have patience, go with, start with Might and Magic 3. If you're a little bit less old school oriented, you might want to skip to 4 and 5. Fair Which enough. We could skip towards those now. Real quick, real quick though, what's your favorite moment of Might and Magic 3? What's your, what, when you say Might and Magic 3, what makes you giggle about it? Becky. Oh, I, I think immediately the status ailments because it was the first game I've ever played like that where you'd get poisoned and your character would look very obviously poisoned. Uh, and evil. Drunk elves. Drunk elves. There Drunk you elves. Drunk elves. Mr. Mr. Minky, you know, uh-huh. we have we have talked about the first three games. I didn't even think about this, but we're really talking about a trilogy of trilogies today. This so is that, true. So we've done the first trilogy. I think we should take a teeny tiny break so that I can edit their la la la's they were doing earlier and make that a soundtrack and ed- and put that in between the trilogies. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break while I do that, and when we come back, Mr. Miki will introduce us to the first of the second part of the or the second trilogy. Well, I'm confusing myself. We'll be right the back. Trilogy. Yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 
Might and Magic 4 focuses on the events that occurred after Might and Magic 3. Trouble is stirring on the nacelle world of Zine. A mysterious villain by the name of Lord Zine has claimed ownership of the land and is unleashing havoc throughout the nacelle. A new band of adventurers must be formed to stop him and save the land of Zine. This game was released on MS-DOS, Mac, and the Japanese version of the PC Engine in 1992. And this is the one I actually did try a bit of. Let's see here. Hey, hey, Mike. Actually, Mike, you might want to read the intro to Might and Magic 5, because basically these two games are one game. Yep. It's true. But but wait, you didn't say the official rating. You got, we we got to oh, let the children sorry. know whether or not it's appropriate for them. This game is rated P for Puffy White Clouds of Zine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Might and Magic 4 is combined with, the wor- with Might and Magic 5 in the world of Zine, because the two have so much in common that well, let's face it, Clouds of Zine and Dark Side of Zine just go together, I guess. Well, they have the exact same game mechanics, and you can go through them with the exact same party, so... And, and when it's World of Zine, you can actually go between the two games. They yep. form together like a gigantic robot! <laughs> well, it's actually... The, the, this is the official thing. The world is flat, and you flip from one side to the other when you go to the other world. So yes. the dark side of Zine is literally the dark side of Zine. It's the other side. <laughs> go, go, Power Rangers. Let's form the Megazord called Zine. <laughs> Basically, the dark side of Zine uses a lot of tertiary colors, like uh, violet and uh, yellow-orange and turquoise. That's the major difference. And giant red anteaters that, that <laughs> want to attack you for some reason. Anteaters? Yeah, yeah. Giant armored anteaters. Yep. Huh. Mike, go ahead and read the official introduction to Five, since we'll be talking about them hand in hand. Well, I can do that. Let's see here. Might Magic Five: Dark Side of Zine is a science fiction computer role-playing game published and developed for multiple platforms on New World Computing in 1993. Based on the Might Magic Three Isles of Terror game engine, it is the fifth game in the Might Magic series and is a direct sequel to Might Magic Four: Clouds of Zine. Concluding the story arc started in the original Might Magic Secret of the Inner Sanctum. Oh yeah. Right. And this was also released on MS-DOS, Mac, and the NEC PC-90801 in 1993, one year after Might Magic 4. And this one's rated D for Dark Shadows Found on the Dark Side of Zine. Your rating system is far more creative than that by the ESRB. I like it. Well, we should should just go convince the ESRB to use your rating system. All right. (laughs) So, go ahead and start us off, Mike. Tell us about your early experiences there with the uh, with the clouds of Zine. Well, let's see here. I was plunked down into a town immediately where I had to fumble around and try and figure out what I was doing. Whereupon <laughs> I discovered that I can bash things open if I want to. It hurts my people who do it, but I love the ability to just bash through doors instead of trying to open them. I also <laughs> discovered that when I tried to steal things from the shop, Without using my robber, I was promptly caught and thrown in jail. (laughs) I was having trouble figuring out how to exchange items, which is why I tried to use someone else, and my punishment was to be thrown in jail for it. I discovered that you can use arrows to kill things from a distance, which is very nice. I discovered that you get gold from the trees that are hanging around this town, which is really nice if you like to search every tree and get maybe five, six gold from each one. And if you go to the next town and look in the trees, it says there's nothing here. What'd you expect? Gold? <laughs> yes. Yes, I also discovered that I didn't know how to operate DOSBox enough, but thanks to Becky telling me how to make it 
not full screen, I will be able to get out of the first town because you <laughs> need the manual. You will be asked to find a certain word somewhere in the manual, and if you don't get it, you can't get out of the town. And actually, if you're on the GOG version, this can be a little confusing. If you have the GOG version, the um, don't try to look up the words in the manual. There's actually, um, in your game directory, there's a PDF that specifically has the passwords that you need. Because if you try to look up the words in the manual, you won't find them. You'll get the wrong stuff. Yes. Just a little tip if people have the Google Games version. Yeah, that's going to help. Otherwise, I would have been uh, very unhappy, I think. And then you would have come and whined to me on the staff channel, and I would have told you how to do it. Well, you're good, you're good at that. <laughs> Let's see. I also learned that once I completed the first quest, whereupon I was unable to leave the town, I got an enormous amount of golden experience, far more than killing these piddly little slimes and insects that are running around. Yep. Um, I also... What else did I learn? Yeah, I learned that people in the taverns like to tell you to go away because I'm busy getting drunk. Screw you. Yeah, and uh, the problem um, with that is... Oh, none. Okay. I'm just saying that if you go around right. expecting people to be nice to you while they're busily getting drunk after a hard day's work, they're not going to be. Uh, and I discovered that if you're stupid enough to try and camp while you're not certain it's safe, the enemies are going to swarm all over you and rip you to shreds. Yep. I should have known that in retrospect, but uh, it's one of those things you just have to find out the hard way. And the elves are a lot uglier. Yeah. In this in this game. Do they oh. even let you have elves? I don't remember having anything but humans in this one. Uh, oh, and my what? ranger's portrait when he's drunk is very disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> So you you played the game and got drunk, essentially, is what you Well, did. yeah, I went up to the tavern, I talked to What's-Her-Face, I took a couple of drinks. You're drunk. <laughs> it didn't seem to have oh. any real effect, just he had a really funny-looking expression and was drunk all the time. Until he... I think, I think <laughs> it makes you was... bad at spellcasting or hitting enemies or something. Yeah. Oh, and also, you don't have a hangover when you stop being drunk, you're just weak. Which also has an expression of its own. Yes. It's very sad. <laughs> yes, the artists had a very good time making different pictures for every character, for every status ailment. Yeah, these games made me uh, have a life goal of working for 3DO and working on a Might and Magic game. And uh, then they made nine. <laughs> then- <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that. We're talking about four right now, and I've said pretty much everything I can. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I love being able to save everywhere, but that's pretty much standard for these games, I guess, which means that I'm not contributing anything more useful. Take it away, someone else who knows more! (laughs) Well, um, My Magic 4 and 5, I think they are probably the best-made games in the series. Um, They started experimenting with modernizing the games after that. They never quite had the same flavor and and joy about them after these two. So these are the two I would would recommend as sort of the hallmarks of the series. Um, They have very similar mechanic. It has very similar mechanic to three, but everything has just been improved a little bit. There's more information. There's an actual quest log, which is really handy. Um, It takes notes. It gives you... um, like the the coordinates of where things are, so you can remember where things were. So it's it's kind of cool in that way. 
Go the ahead, graphics sis. are the graphics are very well done for what they had to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they spent a lot of time on detail, and that's obvious. Uh, working within the the limits of the time and how much uh, screen space they had, but they were very imaginative. Even the way they drew uh, dragons, like they had cloud dragons, which were these uh, cool gray and blue stripy things. Um, you really wanted to explore the world. You really wanted to find out what was next. You really wanted to search around in, in every little square and, and see what you came up with. And, and you uh, were rewarded for doing that. There were always little secrets and things and nice nice bits of loot and stuff that would increase your stats and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it also had it had voice acting, hilariously bad voice acting. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot to mention that, how you are spoken to every time you talk to someone in a shop or a tavern. Yeah. And every time you try to go into a dungeon, this they actually had a little cinematography. A, a fully animated character would pop up and say something like, Gata key, go ahead. Oh my goodness, I remember that. <laughs> <That's so cheesy. laughs> yes, it was really, really cheesy and it was funny. But the good thing is, like, unlike... Yeah, unlike some of these old games that tried to do voice acting and, and failed horribly, this game doesn't take itself seriously in that regard, so you you can enjoy it because they're obviously not trying to be really serious and failing hard, they're just being goofy. It's very campy. The whole yes. series is, is, is campy, but especially this you know, these two yeah. are just great. Yeah, um, I remember uh, near the end of the game, you go up into the clouds, and if you're not really careful, uh, <laughs> and I think you had to have a, a some sort of a, a levitate spell too. Yes, you had to and have levitate it, on. And if, it, if that ran out, you fell to your deaths. Yep. If you went off the edge, you fell to your death. And there were monsters up there. There were cloud dragons and and uh, goodness, some other things too. And crystals and stuff up there and chests. I don't know how the chests sat up there, but they were there. And uh and you always uh it, it for something for some reason it made you really want to keep leveling up your skills. Like, ooh, if I get two more points in swimming, I can go across that uh, square of river and I can go into that meadow and and get shot by things. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the at the so um, the two games you could play separately, and I think originally back in the '90s we only had Clouds of Zine. I don't think we got to play Dark Side. Um, no, we back didn't. when we were kids, I think we didn't have enough allowance money or something the yeah. next year. <laughs> it didn't have like the worst ending ever, though. Clouds of Zine because they they meant they meant to have Dark Side of Zine right after that with a with a more yeah. interesting ending, but Clouds of Zine the ending. Was you sat there and looked at a dungeon, and then you just got a montage of uh, various creatures, their animation of them sitting there and then being hit. Yeah, yeah, it was like, pretty lame because it was very obvious that you were supposed to be able to go into this dungeon, but you couldn't until you got Dark Side of Zine and got the whole world. Yeah. And then we ne- we never did, so we had we we moved on to other games. I think. Did yes. it scar you for life? No, I didn't actually remember that I hadn't played it until I got the GOG version. I was like, hey, you know, I never did play Dark Side of Zine. <laughs> because as I said, the storyline really wasn't front and center in these games. 
I think I I think I played Dark Side in 1999 or so. Uh, I was long gone from home by then. Well, so was I. Yeah, but, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I I was working for a software company and could buy old computer games. <laughs> and things. Because you know. So, but yeah, uh, yeah Dark Side of Zine. Then uh, it it the colors were were all sort of supposed to be weird because it's the weird place where all the monsters are, and uh, it's darker. You know, both of these lands had not very creatively named uh, places you could go to, like the like the Ruby Mountains and Poison Lake. And guess what Poison Lake was? It was poisonous. <laughs> yup. Or you know. <laughs> the Desert of Doom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wait, wait, if you go to this desert, are you going to be doomed? I, I think you, I think the Desert of Doom was where you could get eradicated, actually. Yes, actually, yes. There was a, a sphinx in the Desert of Doom, wasn't there? Was there actually... was all sorts of dangerous stuff. I didn't get that far in the playthroughs I did recently, so I don't exactly remember. Yes, yes, that was, uh, there was an Enterprise reference. I've just ruined the game. Um, That's okay, we spoil all our games here on the backtrack. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the password to get into the Sphinx is Enterprise. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel dirty and good all at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. You've ruined the... it for me, man. I'm never going to be able to think about this game the same way. Because I'll keep thinking of Captain Kirk. One of the neat things about Zine, which you probably didn't experience since you're playing just, uh, you, you guys grew up playing the first half, and I don't know if you got to play this, but, uh, but the, um, the, 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 if you bought the world of Zine, like this, there was a CD-ROM version, and that CD-ROM version had a lot of the voices digitized and stuff. Did, did you play the GOG version? Does it also have those digitized voices? Yes, it does. Ah. Did you feel that pulls you into the experience? Well, that's where we were talking about the goofy voice acting. Yeah. Yes. Gotta Get lost. Or, or, or there's the sexy lady who says, how did you get a key? <laughs> yes. I'm looking at a picture of her right now. She's got like, she, she was, uh, she was in Dark Side of Z. Yeah, she was, she was sort of sci-fi. She, she was sort of the first hint that there was some sci-fi in this game. I guess yeah. like the character art I saw was very impressive for '92. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah, they worked hard on this on these games yeah. for sure. Oh, we thought it looked really cool back then. Oh yeah, really wanted to work for them. Yeah, the 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 starting city in uh, Dark Side of Zine is really fugly, but uh, it's it's supposed to be, I guess. It's all kind of log cabin style, if I recall correctly. Yeah, but then if you get out, then you get, like, the turquoise forest and the funky, like, orange and gray sky and stuff, and that's pretty cool. Yes, orange and gray sky, a lot of purple monsters and pink monsters, you know. Um, vampires, there are a bunch of vamp. Oh, goodness. If you Google search the vampires, their attacking uh, animation is hilariously horrifying. And of course, the, the, the female vampires are all sexy. Of course. They should um, be. But yeah, anyway, at the, so at the end of the game, if you have both games, then you start getting quest lines that span both games, and you use these pyramids to 
go between the two sides of the world and you can turn in the last quests and then you find out the real secret of the world of Zine, which I don't actually know because I haven't gotten that far. Do you know, does anyone know the real secret of the world of Zine? It's a spaceship. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, another spoiler. (laughs) So did Fantasy Star 3 rip this game off or did this game rip off Fantasy Star 3? I don't know. You know, John Van Kanigam, uh the guy that sort of masterminded all these games, really loved his spaceship planets. <laughs> so, well, who does? Yeah. <laughs> I want to yes. live on a spaceship instead of this crappy planet, don't you? They had uh, they had night and day in these two, and I believe oh, yeah. the shops were only open during certain hours. Mm-hmm. And the Mages Guild tended to be open at night, right? Yep. Yep. So, so sometimes you... you had to sit around in front of places for a while waiting for them to be well, open. Well, you could just rest. And the yeah. spells I saw on offer at the Mages Guild early on were very expensive to for the beginning of the game. Yes. Yes, they were very expensive. But there were a lot of spells. There were a lot of and, interesting yeah. spells. Actually, if you've got World of Zenith, it's not too bad because you can pop over to Darkseid and do like the first city in Darkseid and it gives you a whole ton of money. And then you can yeah. train up and it gives you a lot of levels too for doing the first few quests. So you can train up and get pretty much all the beginning spells you need pretty easily. You know, that's a good point. So basically, is it, it's that easy to flip between the, the two worlds. So you could do like the low level quest in one, then do the low level quest of the other, essentially. Yep. Grinding oh. yourself a lot of easy experience points and money. Well, that, only, that only lasts so far because Darkseid very quickly outstrips um, the clouds of Zine in terms of difficulty. So yeah, you'll probably want to do the clouds for a while before you go back to Darkseid after the first city or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So were there were the skills uh, were there new skills introduced in this that were notable? Because we talked about the character, you know, the character classes before and stuff. Yeah, the character classes are the same, pretty much. Um, I don't think the skills were pretty were, were particularly different. Yeah, no, I don't remember them being very different, honestly. It was kind of a slow evolution that this game, <laughs> that this this series very did. Slow. <laughs> but I mean, this this game, this these two games were were definitely a big improvement over three, but it was more like. The, in the details than in the basics. Yeah. yeah, I did see somewhere that this is an evolution of three, so that if you are familiar with three, you will have no problems adjusting to four. Yep. Yes. Very much so. So it sounds like overall y'all are pretty enthusiastic about this. Want to give it a thumbs up? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. What's your what's your what's your favorite memory, Evie? Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Those, those uh, running in terror from those uh, anteaters, which were these <laughs> giant pink monsters with tongues that would that would chase after you and falling into a troll hole and getting killed by a troll chief. Oh Actually. yeah, the troll holes. You could fall into those if you, <laughs> yeah, if you weren't careful. You were falling into a troll hole. Oh boy. 
you, you luckily not too far into the game you get a a mega spell called day of sorcery which casts clairvoyance levitation wizard eye um and a couple other really useful exploring cells and you learned very quickly to have that up at the time otherwise you would fall into a troll hole or fall through the clouds or, <laughs> or, or you know not be able to go through the swamp or whatever I think there are no peasants in the world of Zine, really, except for the ones that stay inside, because everybody that goes outside falls to their death. Pretty much. <laughs> or is eaten by an anteater. Yeah. So I think my favorite memory of these two games was hunting down all the uh, monster huts to keep the respawning monsters from going back. That's the first thing I would do when I would step into a new area, be like, okay, where's the monster huts? i got to go find them. Yeah, lots of experience and loot from those things. And yes, occasionally a disease, but you know. <laughs> <Got> <laughs> Did you ever just let, did you ever find yourself just standing there, maybe letting the monsters come out as you killed them for experience grinding purposes or money grinding purposes? No, I was all about taking out the huts. Yeah, yeah, not so much. Plus, everything is movement based. So you could stand there all day. Yeah. It's, it's basically turn based. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to move back and forth or something. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah but Unders- the huts gave you so much more experience and, and cool stuff that yeah. it wasn't generally worth it to just grind. Then you're not These games are not heavy on grinding. You had to do a lot of work to level up. Although once you got to a certain point, you got kind of godlike. Is there a level limit? Because I've heard that, too. Or an easily reachable level limit. Hmm... I don't remember. I do not remember. I know. That I mean, if you really wanted to grind, I suppose you could reach the level limit earlier than you were supposed to. But generally, it, the game keeps introducing more things to kill you in horrible ways as you get more powerful. <laughs> so it maintains its difficulty, except that at certain points you find that you can kill things pretty easily until you get to the next tier where you know you get eradicated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely not a game where you, where you, I, I've always been an explorer, but you really have to watch yourself when you're exploring. You have to be really good at running down those little tiles if you decide to go exploring, because stuff will kill you. But it gets boring fighting the same thing over and over again, so it, it keeps the pacing up so you don't feel a need to linger, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Well... Final Fantasy, or Final Fantasy, <laughs> My and Magic, My and Magic 4 lets you have six characters. My and Magic 6 only lets you have four characters. Wait, we, yep. are, we do, are we done talking why, about... Uh, why don't you take us into My and Magic 6, Mr. Mike, and so we can talk about this first. Might and Magic 6, the Mandate of Heaven, commonly abbreviated to Might and Magic 6, or simply MM6, is a computer role-playing game developed by New World Computing and published by 3DO in 1988. It is the sixth installment in the Might and Magic series, the sequel to Might and Magic 5, Dark Side of Xena, and the first of the Might and Magic titles to take place in the same world as Heroes of Might and Magic. It continues the storyline of more Heroes of Might and Magic 2, and takes place at the same time as Heroes of Might and Magic 3 in the series chronology. Compared favorably with its peer CRPGs, such as the Elder Scrolls 2 Decker Fall and Ultima, it was placed for its non-linear user-friendly premise, an interactive, detailed game world, and a polished, but pre-initial release, but received criticism for its drawn-out questline and minimalist role-playing elements. Modern retrospectives credit its tagline of witness the rebirth of a legend as the appropriate harbinger of the renaissance of Western CRPGs and credit Might Magic 6 as the important part of that revival. It was released on April 30th, 1998. And it's rated F 
for fewer characters. <laughs> Let's talk about yes. Well, apparently <laughs> you can only be humans in this game. Yes. And fewer races. And fewer everything. I don't know. Anyways. Like, yeah, it, it's very different, where, whereas in the, the three games preceding it, you would get dumped into town with a bunch of flunkies, and you would immediately turn around, go back in the inn, take all of the flunky stuff, right. delete them, and make your own characters. In this one, you just get a nice, shiny, create your character with four people, and it, as you look through the portraits, they go, pick me! Pick me! No, me! Yeah, I'm yeah, your they, girl! <laughs> yeah, they have little voices. No, no, that's six. six six, Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, because I I haven't played seven yet. Uh, Or I I played seven long ago, but it's not in the GOG one. Yeah, the six one, they they had some pretty obnoxious voice acting, too. Now, now six, they had really good portraits for the characters. I think they actually might have taken photographs of people and and sort of digitized them. They were digitized, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and the the animations, like, they'll they'll twitch their nose or, or... or move their jaw around when they're just sitting there and blink and yawn and stuff, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And else, <laughs> yeah, you get well, dropped into New Sorpigal, which is a you know little town that's all nice and neatly laid out. And if you wander too far from the edges of town or up the hill, you'll hear "wow" <laughs> and hear "wow" for about uh, the first five or six hours of gameplay. That is goblins. Lots and lots of goblins. Happy yes. goblins. And 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 if you just finished playing Might and Magic four and five and decide to step into Might and Magic six, you run out of time and you're and then you see pop 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 as they're shooting arrows at you and you realize that this game is not turn based, it's real time and oh crap. And then you look in the manual and you discover that if you press enter you can freeze time and make have turn based combat. Yep. With a little hand that pops up. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I, I'm holding I'd my hand up that you can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 3D. It's 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 yes. actually 3D, kind of. Well, the, the monsters and stuff are sprites. They're 2D sprites that are animated. Um, but the although they, I think they do have butts. <laughs> but they're 2D butts. Well, but, and let me say, I, I, I had... Um, you know, I, when I was, when my Magic 4 and 5 were out, I was just starting working, so I really didn't have a lot of spare money for games. I would see, I would see the box, I would stare at the box, and I would think, wow, this looks like a really cool game, and I liked RPGs, but I wouldn't actually buy the box because money, money was kind of tight. Eventually, I was able to buy it in the bargain bin. But by that time, Might and Magic Six had also come out. I had a little bit more money, so i i bought uh, I bought Six. I never really got to play Five. I think Four and Five. I think for some reason it probably didn't work on my computer at that time either. So yeah. I put in Six, and after spending years of staring at the box in Four and Five, I mean, yeah, Six is just a completely different experience. Uh, if you were expecting Four or Five, it just it it, it doesn't really look like an exact sequel. Uh, I mean, first of all, we got 3D graphics instead of... I mean, they've always had this 3D look to it, but it's like real rendered polygons. Of course, we're talking like PlayStation 1 level, but... Um uh, the uh, the uh, but the pictures were digitized. They had those little digitized voices, like you were saying. That kind of took me off guard. Like, Pick me! Holy cow! Stop talking! Pick me! No, shut up! I'm just <laughs> looking at my choices. Pick me! Okay, you know what? I'm gonna take you out back. Pick yeah, me. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you know you had all the you know you had the the character classes you could pick from and and whatnot. And as you were working through the game, uh, you found out pretty quickly that you needed to learn things from from trainers in order to really. Uh, advance in, in various uh, different aspects and whatnot. And one of the things that would really get me cranky is just trying to find these guys. <laughs> Where are they hiding at? Where's the expert? I can't equip this leather armor until I find the expert of light armor or whatever it is. Where in the hell is he hiding? Who thought this was an awesome gameplay mechanic? I'm going to kill them. He's in a hut at the edge of town. By the way, you can't put notes on your map. Oh my gosh! The only now the the really cool thing was the was flying. Oh yeah, flying was the bomb. I never got to fly in an RPG before, and that was awesome. Did you find the Easter egg? No, I, I just flew around and, and and blew up lots of harpies and whatever else got in my way. Because <laughs> I just thought article, that was cool. They had a they had an Easter egg where you could um, fly up to the top of the anti dragon tower. And, and you probably wanted to disable that because it threw fireballs at you. But if you clicked on a certain spot in that tower, you would actually get uh, teleported to New World Computing, which which was uh, the co- company, you know, 3DO New World Computing. It's the company that made the game. And you could wander around their office building. Huh. Interesting. I think I think you could get to I think you could get to New World Computing um, in in four and five as well, and yeah. they, there was a place you and they would have like little cracks that they made at each other that you would find in there and stuff. I think some I think one of the developers was turned into a monster in one of their Easter eggs that you had to mm-hmm. fight. I think he could eradicate you though. I don't <laughs> now one of the things that I remember about. Might and Magic 6, though I'm not very clear on the details because, like you said, the the, the storylines in these games don't necessarily jump up front and center. But um, I, I played Might and Magic 6, but then I played Heroes of Might and Magic 2. And I understand there were some connections between the stories. Yeah, they referred to each other a bit. Yeah. You know? Well, um, I, I remember this pretty well. Um, Might and Magic in Might and Magic Three, one of the heroes was the queen of the same land that Might and Magic. Sorry, heroes of Might and Magic Three. Um, the hero was the I think Queen Catherine was her name. She was one of the big heroes yes. in that game, and she was the queen of the land that Might and Magic Six takes place in. Um, but the bad guy sent her off to the funeral of her father, arranged for her to be out of town. Um, and apparently her husband wasn't the brightest crayon in the box. And so he was able to take over while she was away. Um, and so that's sort of the connection that the two games had. Yeah, they were building off of the popularity of Mind Magic series to, to get heroes of Mind Magic going. For sure. And um, so... so- were you were either one of you able to get into the like I mean understand and really get into the storyline? I pretty much just ignore it to see how many harpies I can blow up. You know, there there was supposed to be a plot, and <laughs> you know it kind of advanced, but kind of not. Most of the game, you were just sort of going, "Oh, this guy wants me to go here and 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 kill all these guys or do this," and oh look a treasure treasure chest and. And oh hey, finally light armor, you know. But uh, <laughs> really, uh, you know, the the whole reason for the game wasn't revealed until near the very end. At, at which point, you're mostly uh, 
farming dragons and titans for artifacts and, and, and lots of gold and stuff. And you go, oh, you know, there's a, there's another, um, I think this is when they really started getting into the whole, uh, demon race things. Mm-hmm. These, uh, devils. I forget what they called them, but they're basically devils and demons and stuff, and they're an alien race that wants to do bad things for some reason. And you, you, you're supposed to go into a spaceship and, uh, disarm it or blow it up or stop it from blowing up the world or something like that. But, you know, at, at the very end of the game, You've been playing for so long that you're kind of godlike and uh you're you know you you actually start getting a little bored of it and it's more interesting to go farm dragons to see what they drop than actually finish the game in my yeah. <laughs> well and, and you know i I could see your point because I mean as I kind of uh implied the the real the real joy of the game for me was the exploration and just going out there, finding different things, you know, talking to some people here and there, but just finding what monsters I had come across, seeing if I could beat them, seeing what new skills I could pick up. Oh boy, when I found Fly. Holy oh. cow, let me find a way to maximize that so I can, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I spent a lot of time talking to townspeople to see who was the best person to hire because one of the things you could do was you could hire just about any anybody that you ran into in the whole world to travel along with your party and they would contribute their skills to the party and they would take like a certain percentage of the gold you got. Now some of them were like I don't have any skills, I'm great company you can hire me and you could hire them they would just be useless Um, so you'd go around trying to find the people that had the most useful skills for you but yet didn't take too much of your money and stuff like that that was sort of my metagame in that one they're always the really, I always found the really really horrible, ugly, covered in, in, in weeping sores ones and they were always the useful ones (laughs) <laughs> Maybe that was just my luck. I don't know. You know, but the cool thing, one of the cool things about this game too was that it had a uh, graphical um, inventory. Mm-hmm. So now instead of just seeing the names for items, you could see them and you had a paper doll of your character and you could, you know, put different kinds of armor and weapons on your character and you had to do a lot of inventory. Can you see their effects on you this time? Uh, yes, 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 you could look at item stats now. Yeah, there was a pop-up window now. Yes, there were pop-up Yay. windows. You could, uh, you know, all of the items had really interesting and unique graphics. And there were, like, you know, leather armor with a magical effect on it. It would look the same as leather armor, but there would be a bunch of different kinds of leather armor, a bunch of different kinds of plate and chain mail. And uh, especially when you got up into the really high levels when you were farming dragons you got some really interesting stuff they put a lot of work into making making the items interesting enough that you wanted to pick them up and see what they were but you did have to do a lot of sorting of your inventory and arranging things because you had a limited amount of space and like halberds would take up an entire uh, row or two rows of squares in your inventory it was a bunch of squares so now we know where blizzard got it from yes you had to, well, but Blizzard's all icons. These were actual items, so you had to kind of play item Tetris, you know. Oh, I can fit some flowers under this, under this great axe, and I can put a potion in here, and, you know, you kind of have the da 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 stuck in your head while you're doing it, but I, I spent way too much time uh, organizing my inventory, but again, obsessive compulsive disorder, I kind of enjoyed it. Hmm. <laughs> okay. 
Well, at least it sounds like endlessly grinding is never gets boring in this one. Would you say that's true? Uh, I'd say that's that's true to a point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, considering how many games can't manage even that, I'd say it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, by the last couple of lands where you have... uh, Oh, that... What is that spell that was the town killer in the description? Do you remember what that was called? You could basically blow up an entire zone of monsters and send them flying up way high into the air and have them fall to their deaths. Falling to your death is a theme in uh, Might and Magic also. And in this game... (laughs) In this game, you could do it to the monsters. Or all of the innocent peasants wandering around because... uh, there weren't so many holes in the ground, so you actually had peasants wandering uh, around in the towns. <laughs> yeah, they got rid of the troll holes in this game. Yes. <laughs> did, did the troll holes eat peasants? <laughs> well, that's what we were saying. There, that's why there were no people wandering if, around the if, yeah. world of five because they would fall they into a troll hole. Afraid of the, if they were afraid of the troll holes. They ate peasants. <laughs> um, Who isn't afraid of a troll hole if you're not drunk? Right. And if you are drunk, that just proves that you're either so smart that you've managed to forget them by the only means possible, or you're so stupid that you forgot troll holes exist and you deserve to fall into a troll hole. <laughs> or you, you know, you hadn't cast light lately, so you weren't quite sure where you were when you fell into the hole, troll hole because it was black. <laughs> That's all you saw on the screen was black. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was surprised to uh, not hear y'all talk more about the super outstanding story since, you know, Might Magic 6 was the first game in the series to employ 3D cutscenes. Pre-rendered. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ah. They, were, oh, yeah. They, they look pretty bad by today's standards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the beginning of the game is this long cutscene of huh? people fighting and jumping into a well to escape or yeah. something. Yeah. Which is supposed to make you interested in the story, but, you know... So y'all y'all seem to pretty much have liked this game then overall would you say? Oh, I really enjoyed it. It's it's not I don't think it's as good as World of Zine in terms of a game design perspective, but it was certainly um still a, a fairly high quality game. It's before they started really going downhill. Yeah. Cool. Might Magic uh, 6, according to our good friends at the highly esteemed Wikipedia, said uh, they say that it was a critical success upon release. GameSpot gave it a 9.1 and called it a standout game that should be a great year for role-playing game fans, as well as saying that the graphics in Might Magic 6 are the best yet seen in 3D First perspective, first-person perspective role-playing game. IGN also gave it a 9.0, saying that any fan of RPG should already own this game. It satisfies on a level that no RPG has in years. Wait a minute, Phil. Did you just say that IGN gave a 9.0? A 9.0, and it's From not even... From IGN? Yeah, it's not even Halo. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Uh, it yeah. was a really great game for its time, and the graphics were really good. And if, if only they hadn't hung on to that graphics engine for quite as long as they did. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, we don't want to give anything away for the final uh, part of our show here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, you know, and a lot of the critics, when they were talking about this game, and you can go pull those reviews up to this day, but a lot of them did talk more about the exploration aspect than the story aspect, which was funny because when you read like some of the marking material or you read anything from three, you know, 3D or whoever it was 
husband making it at the time. They were always pushing the whole, well, this ties into Heroes of Might and Magic, which will tie into the ne- next Might and Magic, and this this is going to be an ongoing, sweeping, epic story. Doesn't sound like it really quite reached that level, huh? There are kings and demons and, and some spaceships and stuff. <laughs> now go farm some dragons. Yeah, now go for some dragons. <laughs> kings and demons and spaceships and stuff. That sounds like a gripping tale. <laughs> That's what I came away from it with. <laughs> but you could organize your inventory. And you could fly. And you Don't forget. You could fly. And they did. They still made faces, and they were highly digitized faces. Yeah, they had when, the best portraits, I think, from this particular game. Remember when they would get hurt or something? They would still make the funny faces. That was awesome. I yeah, forgot to mention that. On them. It's too bad they were. Oh, yeah, they got bruised in this game, didn't they? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Black eyes. <laughs> but, but, but then you'd cast heal, and they'd look all happy again. Yep. <laughs> and they'd say, thank me. you. <laughs> With the really yeah. bad voice acting. They were really mouthy in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pick me! Seven though. Yeah. Well, well. With that being all being said, while you guys are looking through portraits and are yelling and screaming at you to pick them, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break, a musical uh, break here. We'll be right back to talk about the last trilogy in the Might and Magic series. Talk about Might and Magic 7 for Blood and Honor. Take it away. Might and Magic 7 for Blood and Honor is a role-playing game published in 1999 by 3DO and developed by New World Computing and is the predecessor of Might and Magic 8, Day of the Destroyer, amazingly enough. It is a sequel to Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven. Again, that is amazing. And, in a way, Might and Magic 3, Isles of Terror. It was released in 1999 for Windows exclusively. Mac owners... You don't get to play it. And that's all I have to say because I don't know about any more about it. Take it away. <laughs> it's rated B for beginning of the end <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and, the, and the slippery slope leading downhill. Well, see, uh, New World Computing and several other of the uh, old old series started to have a little problem around this point in time. And that problem was called... Baldur's Gate. (laughs) (laughs) When they went, oh crap, these guys are really good. (laughs) Yeah, Baldur's Gate had a story. This one, it, it, they, they tried to have a plot. I will, I will give them that. In the, in the beginning of the game, you have this scavenger hunt contest to become lords of your own land. And, uh, there's a lot of dragonflies that kill you and all of the peasants. Uh, but if you win the scavenger hunt, which isn't too hard as long as you've learned how to strafe, 
because there happens to be a real dragon in the, the beginning island as well. Then you become lords of this manor that is the most ghetto, beat-up, collapsing manor ever, and the uh, and the uh, land is also overrun with goblins, our favorite little guys. And they have some progression in the game where you, you do a bunch of different quests in a different, different lands and have to pay a whole bunch of money and uh, get your castle renovated. And as you progress along through the plot, you get this and that thing added to your castle, and you can eventually add a golem, who I don't remember if he actually does anything useful except walk around. Uh, but so you can have... Is the golem even a, a, a shield, or does it just stand there and do nothing? It, it wanders around in that uh, really outmoded 2D sprite kind of way. Um, you have to find the, its head and torso and arms and legs all over the, all over the world, basically, and get it and built. Or is a golem that just walks around and does nothing else? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've forgotten if he actually had any kind of a purpose whatsoever. Um, I think he just says hi to you if you click on him once you have him in your castle. But he does advance something in the plot. Wait, uh, the golem talks. Uh, well, not not actually physically talks. Just has a little dialogue bo- box that pops up. This is also the game where you realize that the uh, that the voice actors really hated redheads because every redhead in in the game it, the, that's a woman is the most obnoxious woman ever. You know, I'm the one you want. It, it doesn't hurt, but I need it fixed. You can't <laughs> mute the voice acting. Which is what most people do immediately. <laughs> uh, I, I actually found myself picking characters not so much by the race, e- even though the race races do have different stats, as uh, how obnoxious their voice acting was, or how tolerable it was. Uh, you, you, but you can't actually mute it, which I wish I'd figured out earlier. Uh, it's uh. It also is the game of endless barrows. There's this dwarf land with all of these little barrows that you um, that you go through, and and uh, there's four levers, and depending on how you turn the levers depends on um, it changes which barrow you teleport to. And the barrows are full of undead and and uh, and imps. And, no hobbits. Uh, no hobbits. No. I, I did not find Bilbo in there. But this also has um it has a lot more of the um novice uh expert, you know, beginner, master, grandmaster for all of your skills. And if you're if you're not careful with how you build your party up, you'll find that there are things that you can't do later on because certain classes can only learn so much. In, in each skill. For example, I, um, only having four characters, went with a, uh, uh, a knight, a druid, which I found out later in seven druids aren't really all that advantageous. It's better to have two sorcerers. Um, you have a, a druid, a, a sorcerer, and a priest, or two sorcerers and a priest. And then you find out that the knight can only do very, very basic beginning lock picking, which is useful on the first island that you start in, but after that, everything starts to blow up and kill your people. Which is why we have trainers. That being the uh, software that you install to uh, 
to artificially inflate your uh, character so skills. out-of-game trainers, not the in-game trainers. <laughs> no, no, out-of-game trainers, yeah. Uh, speaking of trainers, it's, once again, incredibly obnoxious to figure out where all of the trainers are. For example, in uh, your land that you take over, uh, some of the trainers are conveniently located over a mountain uh, outside of your town, and you have to go and find their huts. And there's no real indication telling you, hey, when you mouse over the door, this is where this guy lives and he's useful, as opposed to somebody that tells you about bounty hunters and and, and nothing else. But uh, they have some, they have a couple of other interesting features, like uh, you can gather ore from from various sites out in the wilderness and then take it back to Arathia and have a random item made. Which, uh, it's kind of like playing the lottery. And, um, in that you give them ore and they give you this random piece of armor or a random weapon or a random magical item or, or, or non-magical item if it's really crappy ore. Which does lead to saving and loading a whole lot, trying to get something more useful than basic leather armor of, of earth resistance because Nobody walks around in armor of earth resistance when you could have armor of the gods. I think that was in all capitals, in fact. So how many reloads are we talking about to get something good out of this? Uh, well, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes it takes about 20 times to get something that you actually want. Um, it's really a, a luck of the draw thing. And often the good ore is in really dangerous places. So you get really good at, at uh, grabbing and running and learning that... Uh, I think the, the space bar is the activator. You don't want to mess around with your mouse trying to mouse over things and click on them to pick them up. You just uh, want to run and spam the, the space bar. But it's... Now, I'm, I am reading... Um... I, I, in the Wikipedia entry, because I was busy writing my undergrad thesis when this game came out, um, so I wasn't yeah. playing it. Um, that that you do actually have some some choices as far as the storyline goes in this game. You can side with the heroes or the villains and be the dark or the light side, and then that changes sort of how the game turns out and what kinds of quests that you get for the last part of the game. And your user interface. Oh yes, it said that it turns light for good and, and dark for evil. How stereotypical! <laughs> yeah, what is this connotation of dark with bad? Why is that so universal? That's when for a whole different backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there are demons with spaceships at the end of this one as well. But once again. Wait, when demons I finally with got spaceships? Not aliens whole... with spaceships? Well, they're, they're alien, they're alien demons. demons. Oh, okay. Yes. I was yes, with, with, with a spaceship, and I, and I guess probably the end of the game is blowing that spaceship up. But, again, dragon farming, when I got to that point. <laughs> do, do the dragons ever not manage to breed fast enough to repopulate from your depopulating efforts? Uh, I don't think they... Well, they don't have huts in in <laughs> 6 and 7. So I, I'm not sure. They might repopulate after a certain amount of time. But usually, once you've gotten to a level where you can just blow stuff up 
really easily you don't really want to keep going back and grinding on it and you can again achieve incredibly powerful uh, godlike abilities and fight the mega dragon just cause there's no I don't think there's a quest for it or anything um but uh the the game definitely has a point where there's not really much of a point to level up anymore because you can kill everything and you're basically god and then I guess you could there are worse things yeah, yeah, that, that's true. You know, then you can go through and, and blow up the the demon spaceship. Um, what are your thoughts the, on the it? alien demon spaceship? Yes, the alien demon spaceship. Yes. One of the uh, things, actually, that I just kind of was thinking through. One of the things you said earlier, kind of, I was thinking a little bit about the combat and stuff. And may, maybe maybe my memory's a little foggy because I did play um, seven somewhat too, and I played six for many many hours, but. We were talking about the combat system and that it was – you were mentioning, um, uh, Becky, that it was kind of a real-time thing. But didn't it also have the option that if you pressed you, – you mentioned spamming the space button. Wasn't it pressing the space or something like that that would turn the combat to turn-based, like a form of turn-based? Have I ever seen a progress bar or something? Yeah, and you'd so- press enter and it would turn to turn-based. Enter. Uh, that's uh, mostly what I remember about 6 was every time I'd hear a monster noise, I'd reach furiously for the enter button. <laughs> yeah. It did make it easier because uh, – your aim wasn't really uh, so great if you weren't in turn-based, if I recall. Correctly. It wasn't really very great in turn-based either. But <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, things <laughs> ran back and forth. The monsters learned how to strafe. That was part of the problem. <laughs> Aw, smart monsters. monsters. Yeah, cheap <laughs> monsters. Oh, um, I remembered something else really cool about, about Seven. Acromage. <laughs> Oh yeah, the card game. Yes, oh, you know yeah. they tried to sell that as a separate game too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But you know, who, who's going to do that? But, yeah, Acromage was you know, again OCD, quite fun for me, uh, kind of addictive. And every they had a, a quest where you had to win Acromage in every inn, and, and the rules were different for every inn. But uh, you basically had two towers. Um, you had a tower, your enemy had a tower, and you had walls. And the walls protected your tower mostly, uh, except from specific cards that would blow up your tower. I think they were trying to capitalize on Magic the Gathering, which had just started to come onto the scene at that point, I believe, and kind of try and do something card game-like with that. But it was kind of fun. And when you wanted to take a break from running around trying to not get killed while you collect into ore, you could go play Acromage. <laughs> you know, what, um, in reading, and, and, and I, I was not paying a whole lot of attention to the story in 7 either. Um, but, uh, I, uh, so I'm reading here on Wikipedia and it was, it's saying, uh, um, sh- as you get towards the end, uh, Resurrectors party uses the overthruster to repair the gate. Blah 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 blah. Um, if the player presents the overthruster to cast uh, Castor, his party uses it to revive the Heavenly Forge, thus producing an endless supply of futuristic weaponry capable of dominating the world. This ending was planned to be canonical, leading to the events of Heroes of Might and Magic Three: Armageddon's Blade. Though the Forge faction intended to appear in the game was scrapped due to negative fan reaction towards the sci-fi crossover. Now, this was really funny because I was. V- 
very much into both these games, especially Heroes of Might and Magic, you know, at the time. And I would always keep up on all the newest news. And when they release screenshots showing the new race that was supposed to come out with Armageddon's Blade, um, uh, the, I, I was part of the mail email list at the time of the fans of Heroes of Might and Magic, and I even contributed to the side and did reviews on some of the fan-made masks for Might and Magic uh, 2 and 3. Um, oh boy, the foaming at the mouth, the, the claws <laughs> came out, because these That's were right. like robots, and Heroes of Might and Magic pretty much just had like uh, had, you know, like knights and pegasus and dragons, but never had anything that looked like, you know, a mechanical robot or anything. But, but Might and Magic, of course, featured these elements pretty predominantly. Yes. But I guess the heroes of Might and Magic, as much as they tried to tie these two together with their crossover stories and references, the fans for both of these games were in two different camps. And, yeah. And when they mentioned building, you know, possibly having the uh, this Forge faction, which uh, in the Heroes of Might and Magic 3, that was going to be mechanical, the fans foamed at the mouth. They scrapped it and replaced it with the Elemental faction, which just basically had seven different types of Elementals, four of which were already neutral characters in the base game anyways. They probably, you know, it was easy for them to do that, I guess, as a backup plan since those yeah. characters were already made up. But I remember reading about all that and just watching people get so excited about the fact that there were mechanical, you know, mechanical beasts in the game. And it was just, it was absolutely hilarious. It was, it was, a, a, a nerd, the nerd rage was just <laughs> out of control. Fandom, fandom never changes. You yeah. know, when you, by the time you got blasters, like, they could be really powerful, but then your bows were usually leveled up really high at that point. <laughs> and you didn't really want to run around with this blaster at, at, with a one experience, one skill level on it and go bing, bing, bing. You know, <laughs> you just didn't have a lot of pew pew, so I, I really didn't find them to be too terribly useful. Uh, maybe, maybe other people did, but it was In a our- cool idea. Yeah, and I and I remember the monsters. You you mentioned the uh, the dragonflies coming into the the first had wiping all the people out, and I remembered that. I mean, you saw this in six, but I felt like it happened more in seven, where you saw direct monsters from the Heroes of Might and Magic series, yeah. and and they would like you saw Cloud Giant. Every you know every predominant <laughs> uh, monster was somewhere featured in in Might and Magic, so that they really. You know, I don't know if that was to make you feel like they were really crossing over or just because it was easy to rip off those resources and <laughs> just keep recycling those monsters and we didn't have to get too creative or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Did, did Might and Magic 7 or 8 have vampires who went, blah? Oh, yeah. Oh, they? Okay, excellent. Because oh, I remember no, those guys oh. from Heroes really well. <laughs> oh, no, I was reacting to the Heroes. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Heroes of Might and Magic 2, blah! <laughs> <laughs> better sound Well, the problem was, you know, I think, I, I could be wrong, because I, I kind of lose track of which came out which at what time, but didn't 2, Heroes of Might and Magic 2 come out before Might and Magic 6? I want to say it did, and then 6... I, yeah. And six was supposed to lead into Heroes three. Three, yeah. right? And the thing, the other thing about Heroes three that was hard for people to take when it first came out, they got over it. But it's the fact that the graphics look so realistic, whereas two had the had the very comical looking vampires and the dwarves that would do the little twirly dance before they died, and you know those those types of things. So you went from this very colorful, high contrast. Uh, 
co- comical type of world to Heroes of Might Magic 3, where they almost looked, uh, you know, like photographs or something. Well, I think that was 4. <laughs> no, yeah, Heroes of Might Magic 3. Three. Was, 3 was really, 3 is really colorful, too. They did have yeah. photo- it was colorful, but cities, it, though. Yeah, it was photo, yeah. but it was photorealistic. I mean, the contrast came down a notch or two. Yeah, it was colorful, but it wasn't as colorful as two, and and the and the and the realistic look kind of took a little bit away, in my opinion, anyways. From and this is what you know, I kind of heard it's like, oh well, it kind of moved in this direction, but that's where six was at, and six had the photo look on the little people and stuff like that. It was kind of head, trying to head for that direction. Well, one other thing about six and seven is that they had some really excellent music. The the music was really well composed, but it only played the first time you entered a new dungeon or or area. You know, once you'd enter in, it would play the song once, and then you'd have silence for the rest of the time you're walking around, except for your footsteps. But uh, I think they underutilized that music. Now, then again, we can go back to again and and realize why looping constantly might not be such a great idea. But. Uh, they did have some really good music, and the, I don't remember the music from 8, but they even had good music in 9. That's about all I can say about that. But uh, Don't talk about 9 yet. We're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> the, I understand we're, we're on a sliding curve from this point yes. forward. The, the, thing about, the other thing about 6 and 7, um, I like the box art. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll we'll talk more about box art as we go forward, but um, uh, yeah. Well, critical acclaim for for um, seven was pretty pos- was pretty positive. It wasn't quite as glowing as six. And a lot an interesting thing I remember reading in a number of the reviews at the time was people started saying that you know what seven just isn't as good as five, uh, four, and five. And, and occasionally you hear somebody say that about six, but that was a comment made over and over about seven. Like, you know what? It really feels a lot like six, but now it feels like a step back because it's been a it's been a few years, and we're basically getting a very slightly upgraded six. And the graphics are starting to look bad, and the uh, you know some of this stuff really isn't pulling together so well. But the story's a little bit better in six. We we got a couple of more things. You got like you said the factions and stuff, which kind of you know adds to it, but. You know, it's it's starting to feel stale, and we we gosh, this wasn't the magical feeling we got when we played, you know, four and five, and people kept making that you know that reference back to four and five a lot when I was reading the reviews. They still gave pretty good reviews um, and whatnot. Do you have any? Uh, so overall, would you say that you enjoyed playing seven, Evie? Yeah, actually, I I did, and I played it within the last month, uh, sadly enough, quite a bit. So I did enjoy seven. Um, I liked six and seven quite a bit. I think probably better than Becky. Well, I I didn't play a lot. Of, I didn't play seven because I was in school. Well, yeah. I definitely liked it better than you. You were busy getting a degree and all that useful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did manage <laughs> to fit six in on a summer break one year, I think. But... <laughs> um. <laughs> So, I guess it's with great hesitation that I let Mike out of his cage to introduce my Magic Eight. You think this is has you think this is a moment for hesitation? What's going to happen with the next game? Oh. Anyway, Might and Magic Eight: Day of the Destroyer. 
is a computer role-playing game developed for Microsoft Windows by New World Computing and released in 2000 by the 3DO company. It is the eighth game in the Might and Magic series, uncannily enough. The game received middling critical reviews, a first for the series with several critics citing the game's length and its increasingly dated game engine, which had been left fundamentally unaltered since Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven, in 1998. The character development system, spells, sound effects, many of the sprites, and even some gameplay tasks, including an Arco Mage quest, were for the most part recycled from earlier games with little or non-notable tweaking. <laughs> this is rated B for been there, done that. <laughs> So. <laughs> now, you're going to have to use a legend for what each of the B ratings stands for because you already used a B rating. Hush. <laughs> Peanut gallery. All right. Be quiet or he'll bring back the toilet rating system. <laughs> oh, but Sam didn't want us to use that anymore. No, and I won't let us either. I'm just saying. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> All right. So, so did 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 one of you actually play eight? A you long played the time. demo. I played that demo. <laughs> I played I it a long time ago. I remember that you had to make your way through a, a through a temple full of uh, Quetzalcoatls, basically. You know, really colorful snake things. And uh, you were kind of playing the bad guys, sort of. Yeah. Except this that is you the one where the you were guys. monsters, weren't you? Yeah, you were monsters, but this was your land, so you were the good guys here. You could yeah. be like a vampire or a minotaur, or uh, you know, at some point you could get a, a, a you know young dragon or a, a lich later on in the game too. And you, not only did you have um, your, you know ranks of skills, but you also it played really heavily into ranks of your class itself. So if you were a necromancer, I think you could eventually turn into a lich if you played your cards right, and and the like. And, uh, yeah, the game engine was getting really dated at that point, but you could still fly, which was cool, because you could hover over monsters that couldn't fly and couldn't shoot and just pick them off at your leisure as long as you could keep your fly spell going. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's all about the fly. I do have to agree. It is about the fly. Isn't this the one that also so is like... being able to fly enough to make this not complete garbage? <laughs> well, because <laughs> I I was reading into your tone some serious trepidation when it came to this game. Was I wrong? Well, you know the 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 biggest you know the biggest thing about it was it, it did feel like more of the same, and at this point it's starting to get a bit long in the tooth and whatnot. Um, the 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 I don't even remember reading anything good about the story or whatnot, but but I I did. I did play just a little bit of it, and uh, yeah, you get in, you're instantly like been there, done that. I think this is the one, wasn't it? This one that lets you build, uh, let you uh, recruit lizard men. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that was about the biggest change I remember having a lizard man um, from the, the little bit I played it and whatnot. By the time I did get around to it, I didn't even buy it. I didn't even buy it very quickly because the reviews were so um, were so mediocre on it and whatnot. They they weren't exactly scathing, but they they weren't nearly as praise. Praise Hardy a six was. Or, IGN you know. gave it a six point five for IGN. That's not good. Yeah, no. that's almost that's almost a death death knoll right there. But what I did find interesting, and the reason why I did sort of pick it up was because uh, I remember that 
after it had been out for a while, readers were giving it good reviews, like 8 out of 10s and whatnot. So when I saw it in the bargain bin, I figured, what the hell, I'll pick it up, I'll pop it in. I started playing it, and I realized, you know, I've already spent, uh, you know, so many hours in 6 and and some hours into 7. It was feeling like so much been there, done that, it really didn't motivate me to keep moving forward. It was really, you know, and it's the same thing for me as the Heroes of Might and Magic games, but it's really that sense of of open exploration and bewilderment that kind of pulls you forward. So when you start getting that strong feeling of been there, done that, it, it really takes away your <laughs> your biggest motivation for wanting to really sink a, a ton load of hours into it, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately the critics weren't too good to it, um, not to mention the graphics at this point was really getting really old, yeah. and, uh, and it did score sixes, I want to say, across the board. From people who never use all of the review scales, so sixes are very, very bad. Yeah, six would be like what our two point oh, two point five. Probably closer Probably. to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two point oh, two point five. Uh, you know, in there and whatnot. And like I said, it's interesting, and it's definitely worth. I mean, if you're a real fan of 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 the Might and Magic gameplay, and you've been through the other ones that we've talked about that are pretty good, three, four. Um, wait, was three good? Did we say three? Yeah, we said three was good. Three yeah, four. Good. Yeah, I mean, four and five, we said it's the best. Three is pretty good. Six is pretty good. Seven is hanging on by a thread. But, boy, if you can get through all those and you're just dying for more, I think, you know, you probably will find a number of things to like about eight. But uh, but definitely I, don't start with eight. <laughs> yeah, I was excited about eight at the time, and I think I played all the way through it, although I can't for the life of rem- me uh, remember the plot. They they also had this uh, this so option. Retro- so your memory just kind of purged it automatically? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They they did have a, an interesting option where you could play with less characters in your party if you wanted, for some reason. Um, did that have any benefit at all? I think they leveled up faster. It was called sure, the, it was called the year 2000 version of the Epine. <laughs> yeah, I beat Might and Magic Eight with two characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think one so. If we dig around on GameFAQs, we're going to find lots of old threads where people were bragging about that. Maybe. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I think one character is it might be one that you pick up later, but I'm not sure about that. Hmm. Yeah, I just remember. I think I played a demo or a preview or something of this game. But I was pretty poor in 2000, and I was looking more forward to things like Baldur's Gate 2 and stuff like that, so I didn't think I ever played the whole game. Yeah, Wizardry um, came out with a, a, with a game around that time that just blew this game right out of the water. And that's that's exactly right, Evie. Uh, at this, that's exactly right. Not that we want to go off on a tangent and talk about Wizardry 8, but Wizardry 8 came out, and mm-hmm. that's what really sidetracked me more than anything else. I'm like, play this, play Wizardry 8. And I really got into Wizard, Wizardry 8 and, and yeah. whatnot. It's it's a really, really great game that, to this day, I still own the disc, and I, I don't like to own really old discs. I, I like to get things off a of GOG and throw away discs. So... <laughs> Evie, I mean, I, I know you say you don't really remember a whole lot of details and, and, and whatnot, um, but to wrap this up, I mean, in your opinion, it, is this something that you'd want to go back and play? Uh, yeah, if somebody loaned me a, a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd pay money for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, if somebody loaned me a copy, I'd play it 
Just because it's been like a decade <laughs> or, or more for me. Well, yeah, your general impression is not one of, it hurt me and I don't ever want to be hurt by it again. It's more just kind of bland and forgettable. That's the impression I get. Yeah, yeah, no, the one that broke my heart was nine. Yeah, speaking of being hurt oh dear. and in pain and beyond all measurable reason, Mr. Mike, introduce us to Might and Magic 9. <laughs> Might and Magic 9 is a computer role-playing game, the last developed by New World Computing for Microsoft Windows and released in 2002 by the 3DO company. It is the sequel to Might and Magic 8, Day of the Destroyer. Fancy that. It is the final installment of the original Might and Magic series to date, and the first to feature a significant game engine overhaul since 1998's Might and Magic 6, The Mandate of Heaven. Powered by the Lithtech 1.5 engine, it was also the first game in the series to feature fully three-dimensional graphics. During production, it was known by the working title of Might and Magic 9, Writ of Fate, and it is usually referred to by that title by fans of the series. Several critics expressed disappointment over the title, which was amplified and highly publicized considering the series' previously acclaimed success. The game was widely lambasted by critics, citing lack of environment interactivity, uninspiring graphics, and a general lack of polish. And this one, this one was rated. This one is rated A for avoid at all costs. Yes. So I, I mean, would rate I, it. I would rate it nine along with Ultima Nine. Yeah, <laughs> they both go in the same bucket. I, I would tell you. I would tell you that if someone, you know, sometimes when when someone gives me a bad game, I'm like, thanks. I'll use it as a coaster. In <laughs> this particular instance, this is not even coaster worthy. The problem is, if you use it for a coaster, there's always that point zero one percent chance that your spouse or significant other might get curious and stick it in a computer one day. <laughs> Don't take that chance. Break so, but, it. So what you mean it. is, this is not bottom of the barrel. This is not below the bottom of the barrel. This doesn't even deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence with barrel. <laughs> Not from what I remember, anyways. I believe that uh, 3DO had been, and New World Computing had been acquired by a larger company. Uh, John Van Kennigan, uh claims now that he did not have uh, the creative license for this game that he had had in the earlier ones. I think he sort of wants to disinherit it and, and, and not let anybody know that he had anything to do with it at all. Uh, it was... I tried twice to play through it. It's even Viking-themed in a lot of ways, and I still couldn't do it. It had a, it had good music. And, well, and let's, let's get the big thing... Let's get the, let's get the pink elephant out of the room address first. <laughs> the biggest thing that stuck out about Might and Magic Night, I mean, and I watched for the release, and I was hoping that they were going to revamp and revitalize the series after, you know, 8 felt like a bit of a been there, done that disappointment and whatnot. Um, and instead, what, what we got was a game that not only did absolutely nothing to revitalize the series or to freshen up or whatever have you, but the big thing was that it had bugs and, and really game-stopping bugs, which was really bewildering considering the fact that they were recycling most of the uh, the resources in the game, the graphic engine, the, the well, characters. What does, it, what does it say here? It says 3DO ultimately released a single patch for the game that addressed some but not all of these bug problems. Shortly after the release of the patch, 3DO declared bankruptcy and was dissolved, eliminating yes. the possibility that remaining problems would ever be fixed. 
And I know that there was also a, you know, a, a, a community patch afterwards, and you know, something similar happened with Temple of Elemental Evil. And so, Mike, my, my, I, I, did you get a chance, Evie, to play, try to play the game with any of those patches? Uh, yes, I did, and it did make it easier, but unfortunately, it did not make it not suck. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't fly. <gasps> you couldn't fly. Oh, blasphemy. Everybody, I want you to go buy a copy of this game just so you can burn it. Yeah. Okay? It's yeah. blasphemy. It doesn't let you fly. Pay. Yeah. If I find uh, a copy of a game in a store, how about I destroy it? Holy cow. Yeah. Man, I don't even think they have this game on the shelves of EB anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's saying something, because they got some old stuff on those shelves. It was so ugly. It was so ugly, you could... You could um, miss something in one of the quests and never be able to complete them ever. Hmm. Uh, which would mean that your characters couldn't advance past where they where they were supposed to. Everything was so incredibly hideous and ubiquitous that it was easy to get lost in the towns, and it was not an interesting, let's find out what's over here kind of lost. It was a, a I want to slit my wrist kind of lost. And, and And, you know... If you, you know, speaking of the appearances and stuff like that, um, even if you didn't read reviews at the time, you knew this was a bad game because 6 and 7 had such a cool cover. 8 was meh, and 9 cover was just a Roman numeral with some sort of images sort of in the oh, shadow but of the background. cover says a new dimension of RPG. It was a new dimension of crap, okay? Because... <laughs> It, it just, it just, it, it was like there was nothing really, you know, they, they absolutely didn't really put themselves into the game. And maybe it was because they knew they were facing a takeover or bankruptcy or, or whatever have you. Um, but it just, it just totally fell, totally flat on its face. And unlike, you know, the one thing I remember about Wizardry 8 was Wizardry 8 and, and Ma- Magic 9 had one big thing in common, was that they were... The, the official swan song for their series. You knew that was going to be the last one for the series. Uh, but 8 went out with, uh, Wizardry 8 went out with a big, huge bang, and it's an absolutely great game that totally epitomizes everything good about the series and gives it a glossy cover that for its time would, was considered good graphics and the whole nine yards. It's a pleasure to play. Nine on the other, <laughs> and nine on the other hand is a steaming pile of dog dung. And it just, it epitomized anything that you could possibly think of hating about this series, and then some. The, all the gripes, all the criticisms, they, it's like they took them out and magnified them by three and threw some bugs in for good measure. It didn't go out with a bang, it didn't go out with a whimper, it went out with a scream of damned souls. Yeah. It, it just, it was sad, it really broke my heart, especially. And at the same time, around that time, we had Heroes of Might and Magic 4, which uh, which was pretty much it wasn't as bad as it wasn't like bad bad like Might Magic Nine was bad, but it definitely had its own set of problems and and being made by 3DO faced the same problems where it wasn't really given a lot of support after the fact. Uh, with with Heroes of Might Magic Nine uh, Four, the big thing there was the the story felt uninspired, the class system was overly complicated, and and most importantly the AI felt like it was entirely dumb. And near broken, but just entirely dumb, which made doing random maps, which is a big part of doing the Heroes of Might and Magic, as you mentioned it before, you're doing that on Heroes of Might and Magic 5. Yeah. You, you need a somewhat competent AI. It doesn't have to be revolutionary. It can be predictable, but at least be somewhat of a challenge. Yes. And, 
and unfortunately four missed that. So I mean, at this point, everyone's heart who loved Might and Magic, Heroes of Might and Magic, you could just hear all the snapping little hearts break, 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 break. Yes. Yeah, all over the internet. It was it was it was a sad farewell. Stinky pile of anything. So <laughs> the spell system was uninspired and boring, and you ended up basically just casting one offensive spell over and over and over again if I recall correctly they they tried to bill it as oh yeah the spells will will get better over time but really it was just pointless to buy most of the spells and you didn't want to do anything like eat or sleep or feed yourself or continue to live after playing this game for about uh, 20 minutes and you know it can be <laughs> It can certainly be argued that with, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, four and five kind of being a pinnacle of the series. Some will say, you know, six might have been a, a pinnacle. Seven started to slip down a little bit. You know, the fans, the, the fans, though, still liked it for the most part. You know, eight, you see the critics, you know, really much at this point saying, no, this needs to stop. This is bad. This is sad. But the fans, the fanboys are holding on tight, just like those Sonic fanboys and whatever. And they're like, no, it really is good. We don't care how much 3D Sonic stings. We love it. But when <laughs> Might and Magic 9, Might and Magic 9 came out, even the fans turned on it. The critics <laughs> gave it, the critics gave it an average of around 50 or 60s. I've seen lots of fives and sixes. And, 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 you know, and as Mike mentioned, they don't use the whole review scale. A five is pretty much a one out of five at RP Gamer. Um, hey, they, but they, they change the graphics engine. It looks different from six, seven, and eight. It's worse. Yeah, it looks worse. <laughs> I didn't but, um, like somebody pooped and vomited on it. Um, but but the um, the the users gave this one even uh, an average of sixty five percent, which is really really sad. Even the fans at this point realize that you know this is just not working. Yeah, the graphics. I'm just looking at a screenshot now since you brought up the graphics, and I can tell you right now, this is like this is like very poor PlayStation One graphics for a 2002 game. It's just yeah. you know PC Ooh, yes. game. It's really sad. So, and and all the monsters all look early PS one graphics have aged so well. <laughs> and and you know I uh, we were having a discussion about graphics earlier today in the channel and whatnot. And uh, I like good graphics. Uh, on one hand, I'm not a I'm not a super graphic nut, but I do like my things to look pretty and good. Um, but on the other hand, I can't stand PS one graphics because I think those I think that we push 3D graphics too early and it detracts from the experience and this is definitely one of those examples where it detracts from the experience and the hilarious thing is the graphics are so bad that the monsters no longer even look as good as Heroes of Might and Magic 3 you yeah. can't even recognize them most of the time they look like they, you know, you take the very beautiful monsters of Heroes of Might and Magic 3, imagine that they went to Taco Bell, they had an upset stomach, they go into the private room, these are what comes out afterwards. You know, <laughs> it just little walking piles of dung. They, they, the monsters just look ugly as hell. Yes. Anyways. Your can, fast can food I, analogies are pretty good. Let's keep it up. Yeah. Can, <laughs> can, can we agree that we need to stick a fork in this series? It's done, or is there anything else y'all want to say about Might Magic Nine? I, I liked some of the voice acting. Uh, I had one of the sarcastic voice characters, and sometimes you'd go into a dungeon and she'd say, "What an interesting smell you've discovered!" And I have actually put this to good use in real life, but uh, that's the only other positive thing I can think of about this game at all. 
It's an interesting smell, all right, because this game smells like. Anyway, so <laughs> let's 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 recap by giving our our two main stars tonight, Becky and Evie, a good sixty seconds. I want you to sell the audience on the Might Magic series as a whole, ugliness of nine or whatever, notwithstanding, and maybe one and two is too old to play. Tell them what's so great about the other games, why they should go out and buy this on GOG or whatever, and try these guys out. Let's start off with Becky. Okay, well, the Might Magic series, um, it's just sort of encapsulates the joy of exploration in in early um, PC RPGs. Um, You've got a bunch of brave adventurers, and you go out, and you're not quite sure what you're going to find out there, um, but you generally find something interesting, and it's about, you know, looking for treasure and solving riddles and um, finding the next new sort of area around the corner that's got a new ecosystem and new monsters and stuff like that, and, you know, realizing that there's, there is a sense of danger because um, you can get killed pretty easily, and there's nasty traps out for you, and some of that feeling is something that's been kind of lost in, in new in the new generation of games where everybody with a quest has an exclamation point over their head and you know it's you you get automatically resed the nearest life pod when you die and stuff like that um so but it's it's got um a lot of the fun and not not a whole lot of the frustration at least in the in the middle games that were pretty good of 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 that sort of sense of exploration so i think it's worth checking out um Console players may get a little bit frustrated um, with some of the old school um, sensibilities, especially of, of three, four, and five. But um, if you're if you're willing to put up with that, it's it's worth a look. I was able to take the dark spire. I can take this. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is true, uh, Evie. Uh, Might and Magic, the series, it's colorful, it's interesting, it can be really creative, and it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously, uh, but it's also it's also not a grind fest. The goals actually leave you with a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, and uh, you it makes you want to keep going. The pacing is good on these games, and uh, the stuff is really cool. And so is organizing your inventory if you're OCD. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this series that inspired me to go into uh, computer design. It, it did get a little outdated, but it was really revolutionary for its time, and it still holds merit. It's still replayable. I pl- I've been playing uh, 6 and 7 uh, in the past couple of months, all this time later. So that would be my recommendation, that it's still fun for me, like, uh, 12 years later. <laughs> Very good. Mr. Mike, would you, do you have any comments? Nothing I, comes to mind. Uh, no. I've been listening all the way through, and I know that I should definitely not start with nine. <laughs> yeah, don't don't start with the latest one and work your way backwards. That's bad. Well, well, we did get you out of the first town in World of Zine, so that should help. <laughs> yes, it should. Now that I know how to how to make DOS box not take up the whole screen, so I can actually look at the instruction manual, because that's that's the problem with uh, using an Adobe file for the instruction manual instead of having a physical copy. Um. Okay. Yeah, what, what else am I supposed to say? You've, sell, you've sold me pretty well on, as I get the chance, I'm going to investigate these games. How's that? Awesome. Fair cool. enough. And, you know, and I'll make an appeal to our audience. 
Um, people who listen to RPG Backtrack are generally uh, of two, 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 two camps. One is the, the people who just want to listen to us and remember what they've, you know, what they've done or maybe hear about a series that they passed up just so they can hear about it. The other set is a set of retro gamers, and these are serious retro gamers. Guys, you can't really call yourself an RPG retro gamer until you've tried this series out, at least given it a, a decent shot, because this this series, uh, and as we were talking about, especially you know three through probably seven, really epitomize the early efforts into true open-ended Western-style RPGing. Even more so than, let's say, the Gold Box games or some of the other Western RPGs at the time. There were there were a number of games that would allow you. Um, some sort of freedom in making your party uh, and whatnot, but generally they were kind of constrictive in where you can go and what you could do, lest you be killed off or they just artificially limit you. Um, Dark Spire, for example, limits you to one main dungeon. You really can't go down there, even though it's not really an old game, but it's a remake but, or kind of a remake. Anyways, uh, hold off, Phil. We'll get to talk about that game in the near future. Yeah, in the near future. But this, but my magic lets you have such a freedom of exploration to do things in your time in the in the order that you wanted to, and, and it was just it, it was just absolutely refreshing in a in a day and age of console RPGs uh, where you were handheld from point A to point B to point C to point D. So if you're a true retro gamer, you owe it to yourself. It's it's only ten dollars on GOG to get one through six. I have no clue how you'd get seven or whatever, but um, you know, and it will definitely play. I have no problem running that uh, from GOG and DOSBox and whatnot. It works. Really, I can speak really to awesome. that. It works for me too, even though my machine was bought this year, so it shouldn't have a problem playing anything really. Mm-hmm. Yep. So while you are rushing to GOG and go and buy and download this wonderful set of six titles for a grand total of $10, we're going to take a quick break and come back for and wrap things up with the final lap. on the board from our last show and I know I, I don't always do a great job of remembering to go over these things but um, I need to no I mean I was just I was just saying I, I know you also kind of uh, keep up or whatnot but I know um, just a couple of uh, a couple of highlights was uh, strawberry eggs mentioned that she rather enjoyed Sailor Moon another story so that was an excellent pick there mr. Minky. Uh, yes. She was a- sadly. I had not seen the series. The I had not played the game in a little while, so my memories were not too fresh. But I did play it more than once, if that means anything. So mm-hmm. obviously, it was good enough that I felt like trying it again at a, at a later point. Mm-hmm. As she said she was a huge Sailor Moon fan back in the day. The anima still holds a lot of nostalgia uh, and whatnot, but she seemed to really enjoy uh, the game itself. Um, and listening to y'all, I mean, yeah, I've seen a couple of the, the animes cause I, uh, back in the day and whatnot. It was nothing to write home about, but it, it, what was really neat was the gameplay. Just listening to you guys talk about the game itself sounds like a real <laughs> gem. So, 
Um, uh, Solo wrote, uh, I can recommend Freedom Force to anyone who likes the lighter side of tactical strategy games, the history of comic books, or awesomeness. The writing and voice acting are spot on from the comic era, and the character introductions are unusually hilarious. Uh, the level of customization and the creation of a new character is insane. With the ability to choose pre-existing moves or creating your own from scratch, the game itself is challenging with a possible real-time battle system similar to KOTAR with more units and more RTS controls. But wait, there's more. There's a ton of fan-created additional campaigns to extend its life. So if you have Steam and a PC, for 4 bucks, you must own Freedom Force. So It sounds like Solo and you are very much on the same page. Yeah, we're cut from the same cloth there. <laughs> I kind of like his avatar, this alien who's look, who's got like this deadpan look on his face. Like, you looking at me, huh? You looking at me? <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Nice, nice avatar there, Solo, if you're listening to this. So that was pretty cool. We thank you all for your comments. We always encourage you to write on our boards, and we will do our best to uh, use some of that feedback to help improve the show and share your comments with others on our next RPG Backtrack. You're welcome to talk about any of the games we've talked in the past or any that we're going to be talking about next show. And we do have quite a number of games we're talking about next show, right, Mr. Mike? We do. Do we want to do the contest first or after? We can do the contest first. Well, well, let's talk about the games real fast. We're going to be talking about Persona 4, Chrono Trigger, what else? Chrono Trigger DS. We should specify. Chrono Trigger DS. Oh, yeah, I guess specify that one. Uh, I think we're talking about Kingdom Hearts, Chain of Memories on the PlayStation. Uh, apparently it came out two years ago, so it's up in line now. Yep. And uh, do you remember what our main event is for that one? You know, I think I do, but I'm not going to speak it out loud, and you're not going to either. We're going to let people know that it stars a guy named Vice, and it involves Sky Pirates. And if people don't get it from that, then they have led very sheltered and... Very sheltered. ...lacking lives. So, Mm -hmm. yes, that should be enough for anybody who's interested to get it immediately. Uh, so, what's our, uh, well, before you mention our contest question, actually, um, aside from the normal array of, of highly specialized used games that I have, um, I've actually got, since we were talking about Freedom Force, I've also got some copies of Freedom Force to give out. Well, I'm only going to give out one. <laughs> I'm going to make them last. <laughs> Wait, physical but copies or Steam copies? Steam copies. Ah. Yeah, they they had this really cool sale where you can buy like a whole bunch of them for one price. I figured, wow, these would be really great to give away on an RPG Backtrack. <laughs> awesome, huh? So, yeah. and... Um, uh, and I have a couple of standby titles if that doesn't exactly work either. So you're either going to get a, one of my Steam titles or you're going to get uh, your choice of one of my highly specialized games that I'm giving away because they're just so awesome. <laughs> awesome may not mean what it necessarily means elsewhere. Yeah, but you get your choice. So you get to pick your poison. So, Mike, what's our question for the week? All right, this come. This was inspired by my straits with Might and Magic Four earlier. Your mission is to tell me what word, what the second word on the eleventh page of the nineteenth line of Might and Magic Six's manual is. There you so go. Page eleven, line nineteen, word two. And send that answer to Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com. The first correct answer will win, and he'll forward that on to me, and I will send you the awesome game list. So you too can pick out your winning game. Um, <laughs> as a reminder, your questions and comments may be written at our boards at rpgamer.com. 
Um, or you can just email me, jcservantrpgamer.com. As a reminder, you can always listen, or you can always record and mail in two minute reviews on any of these games we've been talking about or any of the games that we mentioned that we're going to be talking about on the next show. And we'll be happy to get those edited on and share your thoughts and opinions with the whole wide world because everybody listens to RPG Backtrack. You can follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. Mike, we got. I want to thank you. I want to thank Miss Becky, and I want to especially thank Evie for coming out and being our special guest and enlightening us about all things might and magic. It is very much appreciated. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Is there anything you would like to say to the audience before we sign off for the night? Uh, well, as they say in might and magic, too, solid. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, is there anything you want to say? Anything you want to plug or anything? Well, if you're looking for a Might and Magic-themed game that's more recent and also quite excellent, um, take a look at Might, um, Heroes of, wait, sorry, Might and Magic <laughs> Clash of Heroes, um, which is a puzzle RPG on the DS and is also coming out soonish um, in HD on Xbox Live and PlayStation 3. Didn't and Sam I will... and Anna tout that very highly recently? Uh, yes, and I also played it last year and thought it was probably the best puzzle RPG I've played. And and I will wholeheartedly support that comment. It is probably, if not the most fun, the second most fun DS game that I played uh, for that year. And, and, and it was just really, really good, and it kept me right until the end, uh, more or less because of the puzzle mechanics than anything else. But really, really awesome. Um... To our audience, of course, we also thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPG Cast at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, please put to bed this 30th episode or whatever they're called (laughs) podcast of RPG Backtrack. Did hearing about games in which staying full to be healthy make you hungry? Did talking about picking through characters with until their stats are to your liking make you want to pick through an orphanage to find the right heir? Did talking about smashing through barriers make you want to hold smash everything in sight? Did knowing that dragon farming allows you to guiltlessly depopulate a species encourage you to attempt it single-handedly? Well, that's a pretty good go into this series, I'd say. 